This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu.
Thank you everybody for being here. I'm your host, Tim Poole of Timcast IRL. Thanks for coming and let's bring out our panel. There we go, we got Ian Crossland. Next up. That's what I'm talking about. The suspense. Seamus Coglin of Freedom Tunes. Yeah. I love you. Here we go. We got Luke Rutkowski of We Are Change. Hi, Luke. And here he is, Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA. And honoring us here at TPUSA once more, it is an honor and a privilege. Tucker Carlson is back to join us. Ooh, ooh. Charlie Kirk, thanks for having us back on stage. Thanks, again. man. It's amazing to have you. Absolutely. It's, it's wonderful. It's amazing to see so many people. And uh, we'll just we'll get into it with everybody here. This is uh, it's a big year-end show for us. We've got Donald Trump's approval rating, his, uh, his polls against Joe Biden are, are through the roof in swing states. He has a tremendous advantage with voters who did not vote in 2020. Joe Biden is in the gutter. And so we're looking at political victory right now. We're looking at cultural victories with the likes of Public Square, building the parallel economy with Angel Studios and their movies, and of course, with a massive crowd and what we're seeing here at Turning Point USA. So the big question is, with all of this success and all this hope right in front of us, what can we expect next year, and what do we do to keep the momentum up and avoid losing it? I think we're gonna, the best thing to expect is equal response. You're gonna get an equal and opposite response. So we've gotta think clear, and we've gotta have slippery minds and willing to do new things that have never been done before, awesome new technologies, things that people won't be expecting, and implement them fast like Uber was implemented. Yeah, I, I think one thing conservatives have to be very careful about here is not assuming that we're going to have a victory because everyone was talking about the red wave day in and day out without us actually coalescing around a central message. And because the only thing we had to say was we're going to win, rather than putting forward a strategy for doing so, we ended up getting clobbered. And I'm worried that we have the potential to see that happen again in 2024. I, I don't know if I would, uh, I know a lot of people felt like it was a clobbering with the midterm, but I think. While we do see tremendous cultural victories, I will give a shout out to, uh, to Benny Johnson. He had that amazing clip that I saw on, uh, on X where he was shouting out this massive audience and showing the lack thereof for some other leftist personalities. While I think we certainly are doing really well culturally and winning the hearts and minds of people, I think what a lot of people missed in 2020 and 22 was winning elections is not just about convincing people to vote, it's who counts the votes. And that's my concern now going into 2024. We can, we can sit here and talk about polls all day and night. Are we going to have the, the procedure behind us to actually win? That's, I mean, you're talking about electronic voting, man. You need to know what that software code is. Because if it's trick and shit behind the scene, uh, maybe I can say that in this audience, uh, <laughs> you know what word I'm talking about. Charlie, kick him out. We need to, uh, we need to be prepared. I, I think that demanding open source or free software voting like code like AGPL3, so at least we can look at the code. It doesn't mean that people can't hack into it, and that, that might still be an issue, but at least we know that the machines are doing what they're supposed to do, if we're going to use those. Yeah, I mean, no serious country, no country serious about democracy would ever use an electronic voting machine, and many don't, um, because anything digital could be manipulated. Look at Wikipedia. Hmm. Oh, look at the internet, where entire portions of history are now gone. 
Um, so I would, I mean, I would just demand that we have no electronic voting machines. Why would you even want to worry about that? But I would say um, that you don't want to give the other side credit for being straightforward or honorable, because mm -hmm. they're not. And so it's not a question of convincing anyone. The argument against Trump in 2020 wasn't a wall is bad. You can't make that argument. The argument was, you know, he's a bad person. And then we had COVID which of course was the kind of pivotal fact of that election. So I think you have to assume if we have another pandemic, pandemic or a war, particularly a war between now and election day, that is either you know, an intentional act to subvert our democracy or it certainly will be harnessed for that use. So I just wouldn't assume that it's gonna come at you straight and head on. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, we, we have to understand, people don't relinquish power peacefully. The establishment has a lot of power that they're abusing right now. We're dealing with criminals. We're dealing with individuals that have committed psyops, that have committed horrible atrocities on the people of the world, that have started wars, that have started literal gene-splicing, chemical, biological warfare against the people. So we, we have to understand there's going to be something that's going to be happening here that we should be absolutely paying attention to as we're dealing with uh, essentially a multi-trillion dollar propaganda machine, mm. but it is being wrecked by shit posters and memes. Yeah. <laughs> it is well, being destroyed by individuals speaking truth to it. It is being destroyed by individuals coming together, coalescing, and saying enough is enough of this bull crap. I am done. My life has value. I am standing up for myself. I am standing up for this country. And that is a danger to the establishment that they fear. And in that fear, we're dealing with a cornered animal. That cornered animal is yep. dangerous and they could act out in many different ways. I, and I, they're capable of anything. They're capable of something that we can't even imagine. Luke's just cranking it right up to 11 right when we get started. So <laughs> I, like I can respect that. that by the way. But uh, in terms of what uh, Tucker was just mentioning about war, I'm hearing a lot of talk about a potential full-scale war with Russia as something that could potentially subvert us in 2024. Well, war means war powers for the people waging the war. Hmm. So these are people who think only in terms of power, acquiring it, preventing you from having it. So they see it, I mean, you see war in terms of its human cost or maybe its geopolitical effect. They see war in terms of their own fortunes and their own power. So the second we're at war, and there's a long history of this in the West, when war broke out in 1940 in, in England, the government, later run by Winston Churchill, our hero, put the opposition party in prison with their families, where they stayed without charges. And that's wow. been, you know, that's been Epstein, it's gone uh, as a fact, but it's, that actually happened. So don't underestimate the ability of a government at war to use its new powers to crush, criminally crush, its opponents. There's a, there's a journalist by the names of, uh, name of Steve Baker, who is a contributor to The Blaze, who has tweeted that he, he was in, instructed to turn himself in tomorrow for charges related to January 6th. This guy, you see a picture of him, he's wearing a suit, he's got glasses, he looks like your, your quintessential journalist. Richie McGinnis, who's a friend of ours and also a journalist who worked for The Caller, said this, this guy is unambiguously a journalist and he told them only a few months ago, they'll never arrest you for this, but now they're doing it. So how about no? I mean, when is the first person gonna stand up and say, this is fake, this is political, I'm not submitting? I mean, I don't know, at some point they're going to force people to do that. Everyone in this room believes in the system, grew up in the system, was proud of the system for its unique fairness, globally, unique. No system was fairer than ours. And that's the main thing that we were proud of as Americans, and no longer is. And it's transparently political, particularly January 6th stuff. There's like, it's been three years, yeah. this is insane. And so someone at some point is going to be like, I don't know, you're going to have to Ruby Ridge me because I'm not playing along. That's worrisome. It is worse, yeah. but I'm saying like, why does everyone, why does everyone pretend like this ghost system, which is merely 
sort of a, you know, a, a, a gross, grotesque imitation of its former self still is real. It's not real. You're speaking my language. Everybody knows what two words I want to say, but I'll throw it to Charlie instead. No, I mean, look, the empire is going to strike back in 24. What that looks like, we don't know. And in, tw in 20, they did declare war. That's what COVID was. COVID was a domestic declaration of war that gave unelected bureaucrats unlimited power to change the voting laws. Mm. And they're going to try to do it in 2024, probably a foreign war, but who knows? And we have to be prepared for that. If we want even a chance to win, and people ask all the time, do you think we're going to win? I, I have no idea. Well, yeah. these rules are all still in place? Yeah, I mean, mostly. Universal mail-in voting? We've, we've minorly changed some things in Georgia, Wisconsin, some things. Arizona has gotten worse, actually. We've gotten less secure in our elections and, here in And also, let's not kid ourselves. There, there's probably going to be a, a PSYOP. There's pro probably going to be a we're, false flag. We're living through one. There's probably <laughs> going to be an agitation, and, and our reaction to the next thing, whatever that next thing is, is going to be critically important. And this is why I think there's such a massive effort to take down Twitter, to take down Rumble, to take away people's ability to call out the PSYOPs in real time, which are happening right now. And I think the system is kind of scrambling because I think they had a lot of things down the pipeline, but they know they can't get away with it. It's a very dangerous gambit that they're playing right now. And I, I don't see things going well the longer this goes on and the more that we don't know what the future is going to be in, in front of us with as they're desperate. That's what I'm, waiting around is not the solution because if we just petition them to, hey, please stop electronic voting, we can't see the code, please give us the code, it's not gonna happen. We need to build systems that are better or in parallel, like we could vote legitimately on the, the machine or wherever with paper and then on a blockchain voluntarily. Like volu it would just take a lot of us to do it and then we could check and see if they're accurate. And that would be one this way is, to move it, forward. It, it is tough. I mean, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what Tucker was saying. Yeah, let's not have electronic voting machines, open source the code, do whatever you got to do. But there's a practical question of what can we do right now with less than a year in front of us? The, the best thing is use X and Twitter because it's obviously a threat to them. Mm -hmm. the, they wouldn't want to shut it down or go after Elon if it wasn't working. The greatest hope we have in 2024 is we have a sliver of the public square back that we didn't have in 20. And that's why they're going to try to either indict Elon or they're just going to try to crash Twitter well, the, through a DDoS attack or some sort of foreign threat. They're going to try to take Twitter down by the summer. The EU is going after him now. Yeah, like They course. just announced this today, Obviously. right? No, it, people are saying things on Twitter that you're not allowed to say. Okay. And they're going very viral very quickly. And public opinion is changing too rapidly. Can I, can I just point out, I think it was Dave Smith who pointed this out to us on the show, that before Elon Musk purchased X, if you said men are not women, you would be banned. That, that actually happened. I mean, it is, it is quite remarkable, to be fair, the gains we've gotten back. I mean, it's a tremendous loss for the fact that we could not say on one of the biggest social media platforms in the world, men aren't women. They actually banned Meghan Murphy for saying that, and just that, it's very innocuous. I find Twitter is a, is a vulnerability at this moment, the way it's built, the centralized system. So if we can decentralize that thing into a protocol and still use it, and it's fast enough, there's still issues with like Noster where sending video is, uh, is slow, but it doesn't mean it's always gonna be slow. We can use mesh networks so that if we all have Twitter on our phone and four of our phones go down, the other two are gonna keep the network going. I, I, I do think that you know, what Turning Point USA is doing right here is one of the most important things, bringing people together, People are meeting each other all throughout this building and even in the streets, even at restaurants. Yes. That culture building is the most important thing because, as we all know, it's been in quoted 50 billion times, Andrew Breitbart, politics is downstream from culture. Someone told me this is like the RNC now. This is basically why yes. not just this is the RNC de facto. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I can't take that as a compliment. If you, you, might, <laughs> you might have meant well, it as an insult. Would you call the RNC Tucker? It's like NATO. It sucks huge amounts of cash and demands <laughs> attention and does nothing useful. <laughs> Time to abolish it. Mm-hmm. And it subverts Poland uh, in its <laughs> uh, No, I... Uh, yeah, comparing anything to the Republican National Committee or convention is just... It's an ugly slur. Yeah. <laughs> it's an I'll, ugly slur. I'll take it as what the RNC I, should I gotta be doing. Say, exactly. You know, having been around this stuff my whole life and spent my whole life in Washington, the true corruption of the Republican Party, I don't know, it just took... I was like 10 years behind on that. Hmm. Speaking and my language. That, man. But, but now, that I, now that I see it, I'm like, I can't even believe this exists. Because, by the way, in some ways it's more offensive than the Democratic Party because it's lying. The Democratic Party is just like, we're here to hurt you and, <laughs> and belittle you, of course. But the Republican Party pretends to be on your side. They're like yeah. whistlings, but they're, they're literally... They, they, the Republican Congress just allowed the Biden administration to spy on Republican voters. How? So, like, but, is there a bigger sign of the fact that they hate you every bit as much as but, the Democrats? What I love about this, though, is I, I agree with you. However, if you are on the, how would I describe this, the lower end of the IQ bell curve, you don't understand what it is Democrats are saying they're doing. So, for instance, when they say they're going to have uh, free trade, it's good for everybody. When they say we're going to increase environmental regulations and increase taxes, to the average person, they're like, this is good. It makes the rich pay their fair share. But to anybody who knows anything, they, 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 they're, they're like, hey, wait a minute. This is going to drive all of our manufacturing base overseas where they can ship their products back for dirt, pay people in China dirt, and have no environmental regulations. So this is why Trump takes actions when he did in his first term that resulted in a lot of manufacturing coming back. But see, we can understand that. And I'm not trying to be too much of a dick, but there's a lot of people who don't understand the basics. And I'm sorry, but sometimes I do argue with them on X, and they say, you know, I, I remember this one conversation where a guy said, you know, food comes from the store. And I said, yes, but where does that food come from? He says, what do you mean? It comes from the store. And I said, my God, help me. I'll help you. <laughs> I was there for that conversation. It was, I yeah. there. It was like, okay. He's like, what do you mean? Milk's coming from the store. And I'm like, there's a supply chain. I think you got to oh. build trust. And it's challenging with someone you disagree with. But if they trust you, they're more willing to change their mind about the things you're saying. And you mentioned, Tucker, about learning about the corruption of the, of the Republican Party. And I kind of watched it in real time on TV in 2006, 7, 8, uh, when we were, the Iraq war was kind of lit up. And I remember you were into it. It seemed like you were uh, on the side of the Republican, like George Bush and the movement. And then what John Stewart came on one day and you guys just had it out and it was like humiliation. And he's like, please stop harming America. But the way you were looking at him was like really listening to him. Was that, was that a moment? No, I, I thought, and I still think that he's a mediocrity and, um, and I think time has proven me right on that. Absolutely. But what's interesting is that by that point, I mean, this is not even interesting at all, actually. But my views on Iraq, which I had, you know, I had a daily TV show leading up to that war, and I had kind of endorsed it sort of half-heartedly against my better instincts. But I did, I did, I did that. I felt ashamed about it ever since. And then I went to Iraq in December of 2003, 20 years ago this month, and I got through the day they captured Saddam at Tikrit. And I watched the whole place fall apart, and I won't bore you with the details, but I realized that everything I'd advocated for was a complete lie that this was a disaster that could only hurt my country, which is the only country I really care about. And by the way, it eliminated the entire Christian population of Iraq, which I guess we're not allowed to say. But if you're a Christian, you should care what happens to Christians globally. And I must say, they do bear the brunt of almost all of our foreign policy. Yep. And no one says that. It's happening now. It happened in Syria. And it's like, shut up! You're not allowed to notice that. Why? I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I care about other Christians. Why wouldn't I? And they do wind up bearing the disproportionate harm in our foreign policy adventures. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Honestly, what I don't know the answer. 
but it's super evil. Well, I, I kind of, I, I feel like a large component, and I think you were saying this earlier, if not the component of what uh, uh, the culture war is, is the destruction of Christianity. Of course. Well, yeah, it, it's, exactly. It's, it's a destruction of Christianity. There's also a destruction of innocence. Uh, Americans, unfortunately, will look at our foreign policy as if it's something entirely removed from our cultural realities and attitudes. But the truth is, we have promoted a callous disregard for human life over the course of decades because abortion was legal nationwide across this country prior to the overturning of Roe. And if you think sending women the message and men the message that they can wage war against their own unborn children does not have effects on the global stage, and that a person who doesn't have to care about the life of their unborn child is supposed to care about children in Gaza or Yemen, you're out of your mind. Yeah. But yeah. unironically, a lot of these neocons um, they're usually pro-life, even though they want to start World War III and they want to send your kids to fight a foreign war. But that's why and, they're pro-life. They need more babies to go send to war. Well, yes, I, I think that that's also a component to it. But there's also a lot of hypocrisy because a lot of the chaos that was created by this foreign policy was deliberate. Dick Cheney in 1991 was specifically talking about why we can't get rid of Saddam Hussein because if we do, it's going to create chaos inside of the Middle East. It's going to kill the Christians. It's going to kill all the different sect sectarian Muslims there that are going to be fighting each other. It's going to make Iran more powerful in the region. It's going to create a vacuum. And they did it. They knowingly did it after 9-11. The Republicans after 9-11 were on the wrong side of history, and they set up the institutions and the apparatuses that are now going after their other fellow Republicans and putting them yep. in jail. But, but, and, that's, I'll, I'll, and, that, and that's a hypocrisy that needs to be called out. And those people in that party need to be Purged. That's right. And there down. needs to be there need to be consequences for the actions that they've taken. They have literally done everything they could have possibly done with the role that they had to destroy our country and ensure that the people do not have a prosperous future. And what happens? I mean, we put all of the decision making in the hands of people who pay no price when they're wrong. I want to I want to throw back to what you were saying, Tucker, about uh, you know you being on the wrong side of that and you you know regretting it and all that stuff. I think everybody everybody here now agrees, and this is why they tremendously respect you. And it's because you you say things that are true. You learn things, and then you correct yourself. You, you, you evolve your opinions, and here you are. You know, many of us, we've, we've watched you for so long. And you take a look at the other conservatives in the establishment with the rise of Donald Trump, and what did they do? All of a sudden now, they're indistinguishable from Democrats. They, they're the antithesis. They are the people who said, I don't care what's true or correct. I care about what grants me political power. And now we're looking at old neoconservatives who have effectively joined the Democratic Party or super PACs that are going after Trump. And, and my favorite thing is when Trump, in 2020, in 2020, after they announced Biden wins, you have groups like the Lincoln Project saying, oh, our, our fight's not over. It was never about Trump. Well, it's just a Democrat super PAC with old, old Republicans now saying whatever Democrats want to hear to make money. Yeah. But I do think it, it, yeah, I agree with every word and I work for some of the people that you're referring to, and it's horrifying to, to me to see them change, but I do think a lot of it has to do with what's going on inside them, and they won't admit when they're wrong, and that's a tragedy for the country, but it's also a tragedy for them. There's nothing better for you. There's nothing more liberating. There's nothing more joy-inspiring than being able to admit when you're wrong. It frees you from the burden of the mistake that you made. That's totally real. You don't have to be a religious person to believe it. It's the basic precept of AA. It's the basic precept of all true liberation movements begin with you admitting that you're probably not a super great person and you don't have unlimited power. It starts with you being honest about yourself. And if you can't do that, you are in a prison. And that's why they're also fearful. Every word is measured. They're afraid of saying the wrong things. Why? Because they're afraid of being exposed. If you tell the truth, you have no such fear. You're not afraid at all because you're out there. You don't even care. 
And if you hurt someone's feelings, if you say something stupid, which you will definitely do, you just apologize for it, and it's better. It's like, I don't understand. It's like not a hard concept, and no one in D.C. can do it. Yeah, humility. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to be it's humble. It's the greatest blessing. I love there's, you guys there's also up. there's also a big distinction here that I think is 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 very uh, important to kind of call out here because when we have these two sides we have the establishment and we have the anti-establishment the, the bigger distinction is one side is is a bunch of bloodthirsty neoconservatives that want war and death and murder the other side too. wants want of course none of that they want uh, peace they they are anti-war principally anti-war and for for years now there has always been an, an attack no matter who you are if you are anti-war and i think this is a key issue that's going to be very important for this election cycle because i do think something in ukraine something in europe is going to be that galvanizing new pearl harbor like event and i think we need to speak up more be more anti-war more than ever uh, because this is the key crux issue and for years bill o'reilly uh, previously called me a jihad loving liberal when i was criticizing the war Chris Matthews, when I was criticizing the war a couple years later, called me a right-wing racist teabagger. So <laughs> you've got a great resume, man. I didn't change on my, on my philosophy. I didn't change on my point of view. I have always been anti-war. I have always been anti-establishment. The system has always been pro-war, and that's the big distinction it, here. This, the, you're, you're living through a realignment that's promising, and Tucker, you helped lead it. You're sitting in a room that, watch this, we should not send one more dollar to Ukraine to that go-go dancer named Zelensky. We never should have sent him a single dollar. The issue is Hold on. we should no, ask no, no, for the no, money no, no, back. No, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> you, you're, you're sitting in a conservative event that is applauding for something. This has all been realigned. It's all changed. That an event like this that would have been predominantly conservative would have 20 years ago been totally on team neoliberal and every thinker would have, maybe there might have been a little bit contrarians here. And Tucker, what do you make of that? That all of a sudden the home of not just America first, but skepticism about these foreign wars and adventures now lives in the conservative movement. Well, I think, it, of course, it's mostly Trump who did that. And I was just the pivotal moment in the last election, in the 2016 election, that changed my view of everything was the night of the debate in Greenville, South Carolina, when Trump said, you know, that we didn't get anything out of the Iraq war. It was a mistake. And I remember all the dumbos on television. I mean, covering politics is the easiest thing you could ever cover. Right? And so these are really, these are mouth breathers. These are low IQ people. <laughs> and they immediately like check the notes. Oh, South Carolina is the highest military population per capita of any state. And so they all look at, oh, he said that in South Carolina. He criticized the Iraq war. He's going to get creamed in the primary. And I thought the people I know, having been in Iraq and knowing a lot of people who served there, the people who are maddest about the Iraq war, the people whose lives were disrupted or ended or severely injured by that war. And of course, he won. And it was at that moment, he won the South Carolina primary, it was at that moment that they decided, Bill Crystal and, and the rest of the ghouls, who were starting to think about how to subvert this campaign and like draw its energy for their own dark ends, they decided, oh, well, we have to stop him. You know. And that's when the realignment happened on the left, where Liz Cheney and Bill Crystal, and all these people whose core problem is they could never admit that the great adventure of their life, the Iraq war, was wrong. They could never admit it. And if they would just admitted it, I mean, Liz Cheney has lived with this burden, and she's obviously a bloodthirsty freak, but one of the reasons that she is a bloodthirsty freak is that she's never been able to be honest about her own complicity in this crime. And if she would, she would be totally free of all that, and she'd be like a normal human being who her husband could love again, and it would just be all good. But she can't, and, and they're all like that. You know what I mean? She was raised by one. It's well, the, there's that. It's yeah, the family, yeah. the family the business family. is invading other foreign countries. Oh, I know. And oh, I displacing know. millions of people, lying about it, and then. But who would go into that business? Like, who would want that? I think what they're only a severely 
damaged person. Like the problem is inside them. That's yeah. I just think that's true. I, I think they're trying, will, they're trying to accrue resources, and it's either that they're trying to get the the oil out of the Middle East or the poppies out of the Middle East. They want fuel, so this is why I push a lot of hydrogen and like redevelopment of our hydrogen industry at home, so that we don't need to go steal resources elsewhere. But the problem then is trade routes. They want to trade route into the into India through the Mediterranean, and they want to secure this. That's a tough one to yeah, but, not. Ian, yeah, you're being too I, logical I wanna, here. Yeah. Also, I, but but, but I, 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 can I just yeah. So I just want to make a point here about the conservative anti-war movement and why I'm so optimistic about it. I'm a firm believer that an effective anti-war movement has to be conservative. Because when you look at the things people fight for, the things that motivate people to enlist, it's God, country, and family. And when the left is anti-war, the way they discuss it is, God, country, and family are stupid, and you were an idiot for fighting for those things. And what conservatives can say is, those things are valuable, those things are good, you're a brave and good person who was manipulated by liars who don't care about those things, and we're using you to profit. Well, I, I, I do think you're half right, Seamus. What I often hear it's better from, than usual. Better than usual. Yeah. From when the left talks about anti-war, there are there are people I know I've had conversations with, and I'll make sure I carve out respect for them. But typically, it's this country, uh, this war is an affront to to family and faith and 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 stability in the economy for the other country. America sucks. We hate America. America Amen. should be funding these. Yeah, things. a lot well, of this is not for profit. A lot of this is not for strategic American goals. I don't think these people care about America. These people literally go to the Bohemian Grove and do mock child sacrifices. They literally do spirit cooking where they take bodily fluids <laughs> and try to summon demons. Oh, to they literally go to private islands where they hurt little babies and children in unspeakable ways that we can't even mention here on this particular freaking broadcast. These are evil, sinister human beings that I truly do believe are working Worshipping a larger outside entity, a satanic I, evil entity. Yeah. It sounds I, reductive to say that, but if you look at everything they do, it doesn't add up until you put in the kind of spiritual aspect to this. It, they have been hijacked. They are not real souls. They are individuals serving the greater evil. Let, I changed my real answer real quick, to that. Real quick, I, I want to ask a very, very quick question of everybody. Okay, uh, Seamus, have you ever been arrested? Oh man, why are you gonna ask me that here? <laughs> yes, you haven't. Okay, yes. uh, Tucker, yeah. have you ever been arrested? I've been taken into custody twice. So, uh, Charlie, no? No, no. okay. Uh, have you ever been detained? No. You, you, I, ever I, stopped I, I, and questioned? Uh, in Israel, yeah. Okay, uh, that means, and, and, we, and Ian, you've, you've only ever been detained? Yeah, my buddy had weed in the car. That means they for me everyone here on the stage, hey, you, you have me. served, oh, I, we, we know you've been arrested. <laughs> Seven yeah. times for journalism. Okay, this means- I got arrested on the way here. That everyone here has, has done more time in any context than anyone on the Epstein client list for the Epstein client list. It's like the liberal economic order, man. It's the least worst world order. Shout out to Owen Schroyer for making that point. But, but this is the issue that brings people together, and I want to kind of uh, change this conversation a, a little bit, because if you look at left, right, center, uh, everyone agrees, hey, uh, what they were doing for, for decades with the FBI covering up child abuse, when the witnesses and, and people came to them and said, hey, this is happening, police officers, judges, prosecutors, politicians, celebrities, media moguls all played a part in it. Megan McCain said that literally everyone in Washington knew what was going on. Everyone was afraid of Jeffrey Epstein. This is, this is something that will bring everyone together and make people understand, hey, uh, the system is rotten. Luke, it's corrupted yeah. and it can't be fixed until we deal with this one we, single issue. We've, we've not only have heard these stories of Epstein, the Lolita Express, Madison Cawthorn made some uh, some allegations. Madison Cawthorn was right. Was right, because we all saw, uh, as much as you probably didn't want to, that video out of the Senate, uh, was it the Hart Building uh, hearing room floor, which was uh, very disturbing. And I do hope 
they decontaminate that building. I mean that sincerely. Well, he I mean should be arrested. What he Agreed. did was worse than what 99.9% .9 of people on January 6th did. And he should be arrested and put I in think federal it's worse prison. worse than what 100 <laughs> yeah, did. Well, I don't, not beating a police officer. There's a couple people who did, but yeah. Well, it is a desecration oh, of the space. I mean, most yeah. January 6th people, I've interviewed a lot of them, as you have, and they're all, I mean, they were there because they believe in the system, because they all That's had right. pocket constitutions. They thought it was real, and they were so shocked to see their election stolen, which obviously it was, and that they marched on the Capitol. But they were there to uphold the system, and some did it imperfectly, and some got out of hand, of course. But this guy is there to degrade it, to defile it on purpose. Like, there's no reason to do that in a hearing room. And, and, and let's post it on the internet. Like, let's, let's make this distinction here as it pertains to January 6th. There were people who were violent. That's bad. You should, you should be held criminally responsible if you're attacking cops. I agree with you, Charlie. There were people there who were let in by the cops, but knew that something violent was happening. But more importantly, I have spoken with many people who showed up an hour after any violence That's to right. cleared, cleared roads, no gates, doors wide open with cops smiling, welcomed them in and took selfies. And those people, I've met two of them, they're going to prison for 18 months. And they said, I showed up an hour later. It's a clear sidewalk. We walked up. There are people milling about. Cops open the door. We are shrugging. We, we walk inside for a few minutes. We walk out. No idea anything ever happened. Next thing we know, the feds are at our door. These are not people who even, as you described, Tucker, these are people who are just there to see Trump speak and happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So how about no on that? I mean, when I is some, I, honestly, I mean, I don't, you don't want to put anyone in jeopardy, but like until people say we're just not playing along with this anymore, obviously Congress isn't going to help. You know the problem, totally I think, for it. we talked before about religion. Christianity is like the battlefield of the culture war, and you were talking about demonism and Satanism creeping into the culture in a lot of ways. I think one of the problems with Christianity is that it encourages people to be subservient to a church, and then therefore subconsciously they become subservient to a government. Like, why aren't they saying no? Well, a man has as many masters as he does vices, and the reality is you're a slave to something, and if you choose to be a slave to God as opposed to the government, you will be the most difficult possible man to conquer. But it's the way they define God. You gotta be aware well, that they're we not didn't define God, you. he told us who he was. I think, and I think Ian. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I, but but, but I, don't, I don't disagree with Ian's point, but I think it would have to be refined in that there are people who masquerade, pretend, or don't truly understand and would use faith to manipulate others. I mean, we see this in government, especially when Democrats claim to be the real Christians, but then say the church is in favor of, say, abortion or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm, obviously I'm speaking from a, a, a thoroughly Protestant perspective, but I don't see my reading of Christianity, just like the text, does not at all indicate loyalty to a church. It indicates fealty to God. Yes. And so, I, I, first of all, it's not incompatible with being a citizen at all. Um, you, I think Christians make the best citizens, actually, and you can absolutely support your government and support your God. But if it comes down to it, if your government is actively opposing God, you really do have to make a choice between those two masters. And, and I'll mm -hmm. make a quick point, sorry, Charlie, I'll make a quick point and shout out our good friend Bill Maher, because it's a point I've made frequently that whether Bill acknowledges it or not, as an atheist, his moral framework is built on Judeo-Christian right. values this country was founded on. Does he say on. that now? He doesn't, but, it, but it's a okay. fact. Well, well you, you, Tom Holland wrote the book called Dominion, where he's an atheist secularist who said that we all have a Christian inheritance, whether you like it or not. That's a absolutely right. Absolutely. Bill Maher believes in free speech. He believes in innocent until proven Those guilty. They're all Christian values. Christian yes. values. And, you know, I uh, uh, wanted to explore years ago why the Founding Fathers decided upon these amendments to the, to the Constitution and the framework as it was, and you learn a lot about how the Bible influenced their views of what is just and moral. And yep. so, so just to, it, 
at the surface reading, you might say, oh, you know, Christians aren't supposed to fight back against tyranny. Exodus 1, the midwives to the Hebrews, mm. they disobeyed the order of Pharaoh where they said, throw all the babies in the river. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And God said, dealt well with them, it says in Exodus 1. Daniel 6, Daniel disobeyed the order, says, you can't pray anymore. He says, nope, I'm going to keep praying. And he opened up the window and prayed proudly and it ended up in the lion's den. In Acts, it says, you obey God, not man. So look, throughout Christianity, we have seen, honestly, one of the most successful, the most successful movements against tyranny are when Christians are brought to a breaking point. Christians can That's be right. very agreeable. And then as soon as that snaps, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. I want to yeah, shout out Seamus yeah. real quick when he said you would be the most difficult man to conquer. And this is exactly why I think there is such a, a, a tremendous push against anything that is related to Christianity, because these are people who follow God, who obey God. And you need someone to be holding to a man because a man can change the rules at any moment. That's right. Yeah, well, and, and so you guys, I know you mentioned you're coming at it from a Protestant uh, perspective. I'm the resident Catholic here, so I have a different perspective uh, on the church. But I, I will say part of the reason I appreciate you so much and the things that you've said on air is because even though you're uh, an Episcopalian, you're somehow like the most Catholic commentator on air. I find the things that you say about like economic justice and also social conservatism tend to line up very closely with the, the political values that I have. Uh, as a Catholic, uh, but I would say that, of course, as Christians, we should be good citizens and obey civil authorities when they are not asking us to do something evil, but as soon as you're commanded to do something evil, you have to resist that. Yeah, the scriptures are very clear about yeah. that. You obey God and And the man. church tradition is, is very clear yeah. about that. Tucker, you made some very interesting comments recently that has been uh, going viral all over social media when you were specifically talking about um, UFOs. And you, you were specifically talking uh, about something that is hard to kind of really understand here. I was wondering, what's your kind of take on all of this? Because I, I see this as a spiritual war. Do you see this as a spiritual war? Uh, what, what are your kind of core belief systems when it comes to uh, addressing the larger evils of the system? Well, I, you know, as I so often do, I spoke incompletely. I didn't fully explain myself um, in the clip that you're referring to, which like eight people have sent me, uh, in outrage that I basically said there are things that I know that I won't say which of course is not exactly right. I don't know. I mean, I can't prove it. And I really do try to like say things that I really believe are true and are provably so. Um, and so that's kind of my hesitance. If I had facts, I would, I would say them. It's my personal belief based on a fair amount of evidence that they're not aliens. They've always been here. Um, and, I, and I do think it's spiritual. That's, that's my view. So, and, and again, it's not provable, but based on uh, on the evidence, I think. I'm with you. Absolutely. But, but, I'm well, with the, the you. military has been working in this realm for a very long time. They have been also trying to, to, to weaponize it. There's also a lot of crazy experiments that they did with DMT, hooking people up essentially to, to DMT IVs, having people go off into the spiritual realm. So they're, 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 if, you're, if you're not paying attention, you don't understand that there's a larger kind of energetic uh, frequency in battle happening. But, 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 but can I say one thing? If the U.S. government has, in fact, had contact, direct contact with these beings, whatever they are, I've already told you what I think they are, and has entered into some sort of agreement with them, which is, which is the claim of, of informed people, um, I would say, whether they're right or wrong, I can't say conclusively. But, but, yeah. but, wait, wait, wait. but if that is true, I mean, it's a very, very, very heavy thing. Yeah. Are you, well, a lot of people say interdimensional beings. Right, I, I want to ask, are, you, are you angels and demons, or how would you well, describe these, these beings? You know, I, these are, again, I'm getting into the realm of conjecture, so I just want to say that flat out. Entity. But one thing I know for a dead certain fact, having seen it, is that um, there is good and evil, that we are being acted upon at all times. And I think every person can feel that in himself. I mean, there are moments when you 
are moved to do things that are much better than you actually are, and that are also more evil and destructive than you actually are. You are subject to forces from outside yourself. That is absolutely true. Now, we can argue about what they are, but every person in the room, if he's reflective, will tell you, yes, I know what you're talking about. And so there are forces that are not human, that do exist in a spiritual realm of some kind, that we cannot see, and that when you think about it, sort of make you think we live in an ant farm. Yeah. <laughs> being, yeah. Right? And that's Absolutely. just, that is real. Yeah. Okay. When I, and, and there's many artists also talking about how uh, essentially what they do and their greatest works of art is usually done through channeling. Of course. So, and and, and, and th there is a, an aspect Not this freedom chains, by the way. Yeah, but <laughs> not that well, he's channeling. Not that, we, we haven't made anything good. good. Um, <laughs> every, by the way, every artist will tell you that. Exactly. Every artist. That, that something happened that they're, they're, they're not themselves, that they just were, were doing their art and then something just Transcend. went no, but And it's not just visual arts. It's, yep. it's every creative act brings you closer to something outside the human realm and you can feel it, whether it's woodworking or writing or painting a painting or writing an opera or writing a rap song or whatever. Anything yep. that is true and beautiful or anything that is dark and destructive is almost certainly a product of forces acting upon you, and you can feel it. God I created that. us to participate in creation with him, to yeah. participate in his creativity and make things. That's right. And since everyone here is cool, I'll say this. Um, with respect to demons and spiritual forces, there's a, a priest who was laicized towards the end of his career. He's relatively controversial, but he was an exorcist by the name of Malachi Martin. And one thing he said about exorcism cases is that in films, you see all of these over-the-top portrayals of heads spinning and, and vomiting. And he said when it comes to things like vomiting and all of these, these uh, supernatural visual indicators of possession, that those are the cases that are the most mild because the soul's trying to fight back. And with forms of perfect possession, the most dangerous forms of possession, you can't tell when you look at the person because yeah, th th they're perfectly content with the evil thing they're doing. And then you look at the way people in D.C. act, you look at the way our political leaders act, and you go, is it that much of a stretch to it's, say it, some of these people, uh, and this is not really some crazy outsider belief, Jesus performs exorcisms in the Bible. Like, this is not something that Christians... And, and does it make you wonder that no doctor has ever been able to explain where exactly schizophrenia comes That's from? That's exactly I bet it's mm -hmm. and, that we, and that we cannot treat it, we can suppress it, but we cannot treat it. And there's no kind of baseline for it at yeah. all. There's I, science that has not penetrated schizophrenia. So, like, what is that? It, well, Parasites. And that is the other thing. One of the, cause, and that's because, oh. in my view, as a 28-year-old cartoonist who knows basically nothing about the world, but if I would be so bold as to speculate <laughs> on this, I think part of that is the problem with psychology is it doesn't take into account that the human person is a body-soul composite that's and right. that you are not just chemical reactions happening at the level of the brain in a series of tangled-up pathologies that produce certain behaviors and states of consciousness. You have a soul. There is a spiritual component to you that can be acted on by outside it, spiritual forces. When, when I yeah. was younger, I, I, you know, 18, 19, 20, I very much fell into this. There is no good and evil. It's competing interests. Some people think the other person's evil because their interests don't align and they have different worldviews. And uh, as I got older, especially with the past eight years, I've, I've, my, my worldview fundamentally changed. And there's one man I owe a, a great deal to for, ex for revealing to me the evils of the world. That's Adam Schiff. He is a liar, a cheater, a deceiver, a manipulator. I mean, I, 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 was, I was so shocked to see this guy on TV lie in the way he does to destroy. For, and, and, and I call him out because it's an easy, it's an easy name to throw, throw mud at. But there are so many people that I'm shocked to see, particularly on the left with liberals, and now the neocons have joined them, yeah. who I am, I'm, I'm shocked when I'm like, these people know they're lying. They know what they're doing will drive us to a path of destruction. For what logical purpose? None. And let, let me give you a quick story. When I was at Occupy Wall Street, this was, a, this was one of my um, formative moments. Here I am 
25 years old, really still kind of believing a lot of, you know, good and evil is subjective. And I met someone who worked for a major media corporate press publication who explained to me, as they write and support the movement, they were nihilists. And so their intention was to watch the world burn down. And I'm not exaggerating. They said, nothing matters. You can prove nothing. So wouldn't it just be fun to watch it all burn? And I said, no, that's horrifying. If nothing matters, make your purpose and make things better and make, make things uh, <laughs> beneficial and make it flourish. And that's when I started to think to myself, this person's writing for a major corporate press outlet. And it starts to come into, into clearer picture for me as I'm seeing this throughout my career. There actually are people who are legitimate malicious evil whose intention is to cause suffering to others. And I think, fair point, you look at serial killers and other crazy people, there's, there's real evil in this world. There's more sociopaths per capita in Washington, D.C. than anywhere else in the world. Yep. That's not an accident, okay? <laughs> These are the people that you put in charge of your life. And this is where I, I, I come as, as an anarchist and, and once again try to remind all you amazing people, the solutions are usually within you taking personal responsibility for yourself. If you give the government even a niche, you give them anything, they will absolutely take it and abuse it for their own personal I, benefit. I want to get to Seamus's point here really quickly because what you talked about, uh, some people talk about frequency, some people talk about energies, some people describe it as souls. I, I, I do agree, you do have a, a, a frequency but you decide where that frequency goes, how it's affected, what its impact on the world it will have, and uh, that choice is everyone's. And I think the more we start looking at ourselves and how we could be better and less government intervening in our lives, then the true change will happen in our, in our society when we no longer will need government. Let's, let's talk about 2024. We've got polls claiming Nikki Haley is, is doing very well and, and gaining ground. Not that I think she will defeat Donald Trump. You guys like Nikki? That's right, there you go. Fan favorite. No fan. You guys aren't fans? <laughs> and, it's, and it's unsurprising. I mean, this somebody goes on stage and advocates for war and lies about the intentions of, of Russia as it pertains to Ukraine. She's an accomplished woman and you should okay. stop insulting her. And Vivek Ramaswamy has a problem with women for calling out facts. That was a Chris Christie quote, by the way. I don't, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. He said that at the debate. All right. I'm However, I, I was asked a difficult question last night because I think, I think it was Steve Bannon who said Trump's going to choose a woman. And with the, the, the polls that are coming out there, someone asked me, would you vote for Trump if he chose Nikki as VP? And would you guys vote no? for Trump? I well, mean, that's the question that I asked you specifically. Well, I, right. I, I, I would not only not vote for that ticket, I would, I would advocate against it as strongly as I could. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I well, that, that's, I, just, I, that's just poison. I mean, here's someone who's actively opposed to the interests of the country I grew up in, who endorsed the BLM riots, and who is... Not only is, is not left, but is neoliberal in the darkest, most speaking of nihilist, nihilistic way, and has no real popular support. Is a, is a creature of the oligarchs. So yeah, that would be that would be reason to oppose the ticket. Even Trump, Haley is a no go. Nikki Haley. He would get assassinated immediately if that were the case. Yeah, and by the way, I just can't yeah. imagine a world where that could happen. That would be so crazy. I mean, anything could happen, of course. But picking Nikki Haley. Um, who's utterly treacherous and utterly dismissive Christina. of like, the interests of Americans. Yeah, It's a no-go for me, uh, but it's a yes for BlackRock and State Street. I really <laughs> do love her. But, but Don't who forget you, Vanguard. But, but I want to turn the question to, to everyone here, and just really quickly, who would you guys like to see as well, Trump's VP? As of course, I, Tucker he knows Carlson what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Probably the <laughs> vice president. I, I, have the, but, 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 I know what they guys... think. I have the straw poll results. No. But, but, before the straw poll results, <laughs> let's, just go, let's go around. Who, who do you want to see as VP? I'm a big fan of Vivek Ramaswamy. Charlie? Yeah. I, um, I'm sitting next to who I think should be vice president. So. Me? 
<laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I'd vote for that. <laughs> I, I, th I think Tucker makes a lot of sense for vice president. I've said it publicly. I'll say it privately. I mean, I mean, I. But the case, I, I kind of like Vivek. I think he's one of those people who, everyone beats up on Vivek for being he's a phony and all this stuff. I don't know. I, I've covered a lot of campaigns going back to 1992, and I've noticed this thing in many candidates, and I notice it in him. The process, the process of running for president and speaking three times a day and having people throw hostile questions in your face causes you to change. They all change during these campaigns, like for real, inside. And I feel like Vivek's positions have gotten much more sincere mm -hmm. since yeah. the beginning of this. Like he, I watch him with Nikki Haley, and I'm like, this is a guy who's very offended by her views, like for real. He's not attacking her because she's a woman. He's attacking her because he actually thinks her views are terrible for the country he lives in. And I love that. Mm -hmm. So is that, is that a no? You're not going to... Tim, who no, you... I mean, it's like the weather. I can't control that. I don't think I'd be that great at it. Well, who do you want to see as VP? So I, I think, you know, we, 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 we talked a bit about this for a long time and often have entertained Vivek Ramaswamy. But then when Trump Carlson popped up, we all kind of lit up like that would be amazing. But I think it's, I think it's because... When we were talking about DeSantis so long ago, it was because we were looking for someone who was less the wild card. Trump is a very strong personality, and we were looking for something that was someone that would be a stabilizing force. Vivek is is very much like that. Uh, Ron, I think his campaign has kind of uh, been very poorly run. I'm trying to be nice here. And uh, then we look to Tucker Carlson. Tucker, you've got your finger on the pulse probably better than anybody else in, in the country. Well, that's, I don't know about that, but I, I do care about the country. I know the country pretty well, very well, very well. Actually, it's like the one thing I know a lot about. And I, I think that kind of disqualifies me right there. But can I just ask a question since you all are so on the internet and like I'm not that much. Um, you really get the sense that Ron DeSantis, who I liked as governor, uh, the people who represent him online are the nastiest the stupidest and the most zero-sum people I've ever yes. seen in my life. And I don't think that reflects him, but it's like, this is kind of small ball. And by the way, these purported conservatives, Ron DeSantis changed his view, and I like him, okay? I think he's been a good governor. I just want to be clear about that. I know him personally, I like him. But his donor, Ken Griffin, told him to change his view on Ukraine from it's a regional mm -hmm. conflict we shouldn't get involved in to it's a super important thing we should send more money. One donor got him to change his view, and all these so-called conservatives are supporting that like it's the most important thing ever. I, like, who are these people, and what is their problem? Like, what is going on with them? It, it does reflect on Ron, because Ron should have fired the people running his campaign a long time ago. Uh, look, I, I respect that he wanted to launch his campaign on X, on Twitter Spaces yeah, at the time, and it, and it failed miserably. This is a mistake. And now you've got, uh, look, I know a lot of people groan, but a lot of people laugh, the high heels, you know, boots scandal. I mean... Who's giving this guy advice and why does he keep taking it? Because I, I will say it politically and, and policy-wise, we love Ron DeSantis. Yeah. He's done an amazing job. I agree. But his campaign is a train wreck. Yeah. Well, and, and so I, I can speak to this just having experienced some of the, um, you know, uh, so you're supporters supporting DeSantis, online. That's uh, literally what I'm saying. Yeah. Of course. Thank you. Um, no. So with the, the DeSantis situation, again, like I know people who work for his campaign who are, are good people who I really like, but... That said, I have not gotten more um, like angry, petty pushback from Anons online ever for pushing back against any politician than I have when I've made comments about DeSantis that were really pretty benign. I remember when he was uh, announcing his campaign, one thing I said is, look, 
you know, when I see Trump tear DeSantis uh, apart or make fun of him, it doesn't thrill me the way him destroying Jeb Bush thrilled me, because I think if both Trump and DeSantis are successful, that's good for the Republican Party, yes. and it's a shame that they've been pitted against one another. I agree another. with that. Yeah, and, and I said that, and then I said, here's the reality about DeSantis. I should have been agreeing with everything he was saying in his, his campaign speech when he first announced, and I was bored to tears, and they need to get somebody to help him with his delivery so he can be more charismatic, because that matters to people. I think that's a pretty benign piece of constructive criticism. And I was just flooded with angry replies from his followers, and it was so strange to me because I've said far harsher things about other Republican candidates, and I have not experienced even a small fraction of the pushback. They're madder at you than Joe Biden. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. exactly. What is that? I, and, like, and I, by the way, as someone who, who has uh, generally liked Trump, I've made fun of and pushed back against Trump too, and my fans who really like Trump enjoyed it. They thought it was funnier. They agreed. I made fun of Trump all the time. Yeah, That's yeah. okay. He's a exactly. person. Exactly. No one is God, okay? So yeah. Lighten up a little bit. Yeah, my, my, my conspiracy theory is that the people online are actually Trump supporters masquerading as DeSantis supporters <laughs> to just make everybody hate him. <laughs> I'm like, it's the only explanation. I mean, come on. At a certain point, you have to realize, you know, to, like, we're talking about his campaign staff and, and, and his, and his high-level staff. At a certain point, you have to realize what you're doing is failing. Mm -hmm. I mean, polls are going down. He's being beaten by Nikki Haley in the polls. If you want to trust the polls, I'm like, at a certain point, do a 180, stop. You're, it's not working. But they keep doing the exact same thing. Yep. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, I, I had a realization the other day because I saw this tweet from Laura Loomer, uh, which purportedly came from, from Christina Peshaw, but it appeared to be fake. And I tweeted, no, there's no way this can be real. Christina Peshaw then retweeted a fake version supposedly coming from Laura Loomer. Now, th this, at this point, it's clearly fake because it was a manipulation on what Laura had posted. So I call that out, saying, these people are the scumbags they, came, they claim the Trump people are. And I get this pushback where they say, you seem to have ignored the fact the Trump campaign did this first. I whoa, whoa, whoa. I figured it out. Laura Loomer is not the Trump campaign. She's Trump's biggest fan. She does a lot of work in support of Trump, but she is outside of the campaign, and she is not on the same level as Trump's campaign staff and press secretary. Christina Peshaw for Ron DeSantis is his second in command, who is acting on the internet as though she is on the same level as Laura Loomer is, despite Laura not being part of Trump's campaign. So, and I'm saying this not to be disrespectful to anybody. What I'm saying is, if you are running a presidential campaign, but you think your path to victory is to argue with fans of your opponent online, you have put yourself way below the standards of, of that governor you're representing. Yeah, one thing I want to point out that might be a possible uh, explanatory factor here, the, the great and insightful Oren McIntyre said this, so I'll give him credit, but the DeSantis campaign has effectively become a shelling point for all of the elements within the Republican Party that just hated Trump. So even though DeSantis has great policies because they see it as a very us versus him type of thing, a lot of people in the Republican Party who we would agree shouldn't have a place in it have migrated to his campaign, and I don't think they've advised them well. I think that it is very clear that there's some ineptitude going around in, in DeSantis' campaign, but that you brought up, Tim, that there's some sort of malfeasance, that people are in there manipulating the scenes. Like, we have AI that could just be twisting people's thoughts about DeSantis constantly with comments, with retweets. AI could be retweeting other AIs that are, oh, yeah. or even machine learning algorithms that are, like, making him look really bad on purpose, or vice versa. I mean, it's... Let's, or he has well, autism. But, but, no, no, but let's get into this. Let's get into this. Um, one of the scariest things I think we're seeing now is the potential for what, uh, I mean, Steve Bannon talks about this quite, quite a bit, the singularity. We are getting, uh, well, let me start from the beginning. There's something called dead internet theory. Tucker, have you ever heard of this? No. This, I'd be the last to know. This is, this, it's an idea that He's around, flexing that he goes outside, by the way. Yeah, right. He's, like, he's like, you guys look pal enough. He's, he's, Can he's you answer internet questions for me? <laughs> so dead internet theory uh, believes that around 2016 is when we saw a shift from real people on the internet into AI bots and sock puppets. Sock puppets are 
you know, one person will run 50 accounts to try and manipulate public opinion. And uh, maybe, maybe, Elon Musk is working very hard to get bots off of X to try and create a genuine conversation. But as we're now to the point where we have these large language models, and a lot of them, especially Grok, now Grok is new, the potential that you are not even talking to a person when you're debating online is, is nearing 100%. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, on this AI future and with these fears in mind. Well, I mean, it's hard to sort of ignore the instinct that like we're approaching something horrible and final. I mean, I don't understand how you and could in good conscience build something like AI. It's so Tower of Babel, it's so transparently... Genesis 11. It, yeah. It's so transparently insane. And of course, we now have reports that the people building it are worshiping it like a god, which obviously it is. And um, it, that feels to me like the craziest, most reckless thing people have ever done. And I think the chance that that ends in tears is 100%. Yeah. Little, little G, though. And so, but little. also it's like technological progress. Like, I don't know, we've had quite a bit of it. And this country's become much worse in every measurable way since I was a child with much less technological progress. So, and I'm sorry, I know there, we have tech people here. I have friends who are professional technologists and they're very excited about technology. But where's the evidence that it's a good thing? Bingo. I, think I mean, where's the evidence? Even the public health has declined. They used to say, well, at least we'll cure cancer. Okay, but that's not happening. People are getting, we have more cancer, actually. More obesity, more and suicide. Exactly. More so where, just, well, just show me the place where technology in the last 20 years has made people happier. I think it's, and it's I don't a, think there is such a place. Well, so maybe I, we should rethink our core assumptions about technology. I agree, neutral. but I do think we have serious cultural problems. And I wonder if perhaps the argument is a culture will be destroyed through uh, technology in this way, particularly communications technology. It starts with the printing press, which we say was great, then the radio, it was fantastic. Then television, oh, how awesome. And now the internet, it's changed everything, but it does seem like it's becoming noise and static and pure chaos from it. I'm wondering if it is an impossible solution or if we've just not found the solution. It's, it's a neutral force. It's just like the atom bomb is I neutral. Don't, I don't if agree with that. If it's in the hands of evil, it will be used for evil. It's but not it's, a plot. It is really, in the hands of evil. Do you, do you really think that? Because here, solve this mystery for me. Um, creativity pretty much died in the West in August of 1945 when we bombed Hiroshima and then Nagasaki. So I don't know, maybe I'm the only person who's interested in this, but the, the death of creativity in the United States is very jarring to me. That's true in literature. Name three great novels written since 1945 in English. Oh, you can't. Name 10 great public works projects since 1945. Oh, not possible. Something changed fundamentally since we dropped that bomb. And I don't think I'm imagining it. And by the way, if you have counter evidence to wreck my theories, please give it to me. But I do think something about the godlike powers of nuclear weapons convince people they are God. I think there may be some spiritual force in effect there, but whatever it is, that moment changed this country and the entire West forever and diminished it forever. But, but, and I grew up defending the bombing of Japan with the atomic weapons because, oh, you know, we couldn't deal with an invasion or whatever. And now I'm thinking, in what way, how insane was I to defend dropping a nuclear bomb on people? If you but, find yourself defending that, you're a freak. But, but, I, yeah. but I, I'm wondering Absolutely. if it's, it's not the nuclear bombs, but television, the expansion of television. Uh, I've, I've often half joked that the 90s was the last decade, 
and I think it's probably due to the internet, the decentralization of, of communications through the internet results in no cohesive, visible culture in this country. You look at the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you right. see a unique culture that exists in America. Of course. After the 90s with the explosion of the internet, now it's, I, I gotta tell you, we went to the mall a couple days ago, and this, it really does blow my mind that I see a hot topic, and I guarantee you, Jack Skellington is in, is in the window. That's a 30-year-old movie still being sold to kids who have no idea what it is. I, there's a viral TikTok where a young woman's wearing a Nirvana shirt and says, I don't even know what this is, I just buy it anyway. It, it, it's almost like television around that era does something to creativity by homogenizing everything. But, but we don't understand this. I mean, look, the creative force is the life force. And by the way, it's closely related to the, the sex impulse, which ultimately is a creative force to create new people. That's exactly right. So if you see a decline in or a death of the creative force, what you're looking at is death of the culture and or society. And there is no question, movies are just one manifestation of it. We have seen the death of the creative impulse in the West. And that is like an emergency, a tragedy, a history-changing event, and it's never acknowledged. As you were saying that, it clicked for me, it's contraceptives. It is, it, wow. is the, the, it is the development of reliable and effective methods of artificial contraceptives and their legalization across the country. I, 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 I was going to say, the most head out intimate, of the gutter. No, it's true. No, it, it, it's he a reality. Because the most, well, and this is something all Christians believed a, a hundred years ago in, in prior. The, one of the most intimate and productive, literally productive things human beings do together. You are collaborating with God in the creation of new human persons right. whose souls will last longer than all of the stars in the universe. And we took that and we turned it into playtime. We said, this is for fun. This is for feeling good. This is not about making things. And we thought that wouldn't affect our psychology. I, we I, thought that wouldn't strip us of our creative impulse when we spit in the face of our creator in one of the most fundamental ways. He asks us to collaborate with him in the creation of new things. Let me make it a little bit more secular though. Without people having children, they detach themselves from responsibility, from purpose, and from work. And now we have these videos of people being like, I'm a dink, I just do nothing. You've got Chelsea Handler saying, I wake up, do drugs, and masturbate, and then go back to bed. I don't do anything. There's no reason for creation. I bet she doesn't masturbate. She's too soulless. <laughs> <laughs> well, for sure, sure. But my, my point is, uh, I agree. Around this point, when you start getting the lack of, when you, when you have people who in, intentionally do not have children, you look at a lot of these videos and you see there's, there's a through line. People who don't have kids lean a certain direction. They're, they're, they're not working hard for something because they, have, they, they, they don't have that responsibility. I, thought, well, I think it is TV, man. I think it's TV and now video games. And it's people, there's a difference between making television and watching it. And if you just sit around and watch it, you're not creating. You might be learning so you're, you might be creating neural pathways, but really the creative spark is within you. Or maybe it's just modernity. Well, wait, but where's the technology in the last, say, 25 years that's elevated people and made their lives better and made them more fully human? I think internet ha can, if you but use it. Has, right. has, it, has it anywhere? If can you name so an example of where technology in the last, and I, I will grant you antibiotics, okay, and electricity, great. I have some questions about electricity, but, good. but <laughs> and fever. Give me an example, like as as this all sort of accelerates, right, exponentially, literally exponentially, the development of technology. Has there been any place that you can point to globally where it's been a force for good? I think I, I the wanna... decentralization of journalism with the internet 
has blown the lid on the entire liberal economic orders plans that they've had for the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah, that's good, but that's pushing back against the society that technology created. And this, and this is, <laughs> so but this is the point I wanted to make. It's easy to say, oh, look, we're broadcasting live right now to you know, so, so many people. But Tucker's question, what, what has benefited humanity? I can't say the internet has because it seems to be at best neutral because it's also been weaponized by deep state elements on X, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube to silence people at the exact same time and, and create fake narratives. It doesn't just silence them. It, it dumbs them down and also uh, bastardizes them. It also promotes pornography, especially to children. It Absolutely. destroys their, their innocence. So, so I, I would kind of agree with, with Tucker here when, when it comes to this. And, and a lot of this sometimes has to do with short-term pleasures over long-term pleasures. But I think a lot of it also has, to, has, has, has a lot to do with, with uh, a larger chemical castration that is happening systematically of the average male. If you look at sperm counts, they are dramatically going down. The average 22-year-old has this has lower testosterone than the average 70-year-old in the 1980s. That's not a coincidence. That's, of course, men with low T are more easy to be conquered and controlled and dominated and enslaved. There's a reason that I think there's a larger biological war out there, and whether it's fought with seed oils or high fructose corn syrup or with plastic water bottles. Plastic. <laughs> PFAs, forever like chemicals, whatever you might, uh, you, whatever you might call it, there is a direct attack on your testosterone, poisoning, on obviously. your balls, on your freaking <laughs> sperm levels, on your masculinity. If you're a male, there's nothing toxic Yo, about your masculinity, remember, and 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 I think we need to prioritize health. The smell right, 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 remember when we were kids and they said, "Don't eat Butterfinger and Mountain Dew at the same time; it'll lower your sperm count." We all got scared. Do you remember that one? Yes. I mean, here we are now, and it's like definitively, you know, the chemicals leaching into your food through plastics do this, and everyone's like, oh, is, is, it, is, it, is it really doing that? That's like the benefits it's outweigh not, the, the consequences. It doesn't just water. give you uh, Bill Gates moobs, okay? It <laughs> destroys any kind of resistance of to the system. He so says as he's drinking coconut water from a plastic bottle. Yeah. I, I, but I mean no disrespect. He's going to grow some coconuts. He's yeah. <laughs> no, but we, so, you know, for us back at the studio, we, we bought re reusable glass bottles. Hey, we're recycling. Look at that. Reuse. You, know, you refill your glass bottle with filtered water. But also we want to reduce how much plastic we have attached to the food we're eating. But may I suggest one other downside, not to be dark about it, but technology has enabled the creation of a surveillance state that so yep. outpaces anything East Germany even attempted that the net effect, and ask yourself if you thought this recently, is that no one feels free to express unimproved thoughts, even in private, because you know you're being listened to or you, that you could be listened to. And what is the effect on the human and the human soul when there's no place for you to honestly express yourself? Liberty is, uh, you know, I impossible without privacy. You have to have, there was no door in your bathroom would, or no on your bedroom. Would you feel free? Of course mm -hmm. not. That's solitary confinement in prison. So. The loss of our privacy is not some like, weird esoteric thing the ACL used to care about. It's like, it's, it's foundational. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. And one thing I, I firmly believe is that tyranny is fundamentally anti-intimacy. If there are people exactly. you trust and have exactly. genuinely intimate relationships with, you can tell things, you can share your real thoughts with, then you are a harder person to control because other people are there to tell you that you're not crazy for noticing things that they're noticing as well. And what we have done with intimacy is firstly, we've taken it, we've turned it into a euphemism for sex. And anytime someone has an intimate relationship with a genuine friend, 
friend, we make jokes about them being homosexual with that person, or if it's a, a friend of the opposite sex, or even their spouse, if they have like a genuinely loving, caring relationship with their spouse where they bear their souls out to one another, we see that as strange. That should be somebody you just use for sex and not someone who you like actually have a deep spiritual connection with. And I think that's part of why pornography is so important to those in power is because it strips one of the most intimate people, things people do of its intimacy. It's been weaponized. Rather, in the words of Carol Wojtyla, rather than showing too much of a person, pornography shows too little of a person. It strips the human dignity away from the subject. And again, I will go back to contraceptives. It does it with contraceptives. You're not rolling the dice when you're with this person. You're not rolling the dice and saying, this is someone I'm willing to bring life into the world with. You're so making our, a strong case for the papacy, I have to say. I've always made fun of it. This, but they I, say that you're getting me. We're, we're in the apocalypse you, or that we're entering the apocalypse. You, you, want to hear the, you want to hear the strongest case for the papacy I've heard, by the way, Tucker? This is from, uh, I believe this was Bellic, and he said, Part of the reason I know the Catholic Church is, is the true church founded by Jesus Christ is because no organization run so incompetently for 2,000 years could still possibly survive. Well, it's funny. I, I'm, you know, again, I'm coming at it from an, I, some of my closest friends. Some of my closest friends are Catholics, but actually, that's true. And there's so I many things tell. that I love about the Catholic Church. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not pro -po the Pope, okay? I'm just not. And so a couple people have pushed me in. Papacy or this Pope? Both. Both? Yeah. Probably, probably both, but I'm, yeah. I'll just be honest. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just very offended by this Pope, okay? Mm -hmm. So I've said that to a couple people, close friends of mine who are Catholic, who said, oh yeah, we are too. And I was like, well, how- They're more offended how, than you, Tucker. Yeah, they're more offended, <laughs> exactly. You know, that's insightful. They're more offended than I am. And I said, well, okay. I was offended by the Episcopal Church. I left mm -hmm. and, and I, oh, I love not being in that church. Mm -hmm. But um, they said, no, no, no. The church is far bigger than this guy. We've had a lot of bad Popes actually. Exactly. And, and I love that attitude. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. We're in this thing called the apocalypse, I think, right now. We could, be, we could be in the end times. And it's like the great revealment, really, is what the term yeah. means. And it's like the truth. We talk about honesty. And if you're going to hide and have secrets, is it righteous or just to force your secrets into the open so that now you're forced to be honest with like a neural net and we're all honest with each other at all times? Is that too far? Because I, yes. I kind of agree that it seems like TMI. Liberty. Yeah. But the liars, what do you do? Well, I don't even know what, what a neural you? net is, but I want to say conclusively I'm opposed to it. <laughs> yeah, well, Elon's that, working on it. That, that, that's why in Christianity, on, you only want a loving God to know your thoughts. Well, we, and Nikki if, Haley wants if, to if, know if, everything. If, the, the neural, if, an, if an unloving thing sees your thoughts, imagine what would happen. A neural net yep. would be like a, an a brain-computer interface where you're sending commands and receiving commands from machines in real time with your thoughts. Yeah, I'm not going to be an early adapter of that. Well, Me that's either. the danger of the, of the AI and the artificial intelligence. As many world leaders said, whoever controls artificial intelligence first will control the world. Vladimir Putin said the country that leads an AI will be the ruler of the world. With this technology, especially with its perpetual growth, there's a lot of threats and challenges for humanity that we need to address But why doesn't someone blow it up? Like, the, the, what freaks me out most about AI is how everyone's so passive in its rise, mm -hmm. in the face of its rise. It's like, if you think this thing is existentially dangerous, it could extinguish human society, why doesn't someone blow up the servers? Well, it's, everyone's it's, it's, like, oh, there's nothing we could do, and we're very concerned. Uh, how concerned are you? It's, it's not <laughs> only that. There, there's, also, there's also a larger possibility that, that the AI could already be in charge. We haven't thought about that, because if it is, the people in charge wouldn't be telling everyone, the AI's here, guys. They would be using it for their own sinister purposes. So I think we could be living in a situation where the AI is having more, an more of an effect on our lives than we could even realize right now. I think you can't blow it up because it's actually, you could, you could knock out servers, but the data itself that writes the code is decentralized. Well, then it's an autonomous being, and it obviously is not, you can't hand control of human society over to a non-human. 
Like I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I'm a sub genius and even I get that. So what are we doing? I think I the think, code should be open so that we can see what this thing's doing at the very least. But I think of it as an inevitability like the atom bomb. Like whoever gets it first is gonna control this, the planet for 50 years. This is the issue. You have all of these different companies basically agreeing, hey, this thing's gonna be really dangerous. But if we don't <laughs> do want it, it, they will. Right, so we better be the ones in control of it. And you have governments. And you can argue open this. sourcing the code is too dangerous. If they'd open source the Manhattan Project and Hitler built it first, we'd probably all be speaking German right now. Mm -hmm. So that's a very real thing, like secrecy is a valuable tool in global domination. And it's not like you have to try and dominate, but like if you just sit back behind your walls and wait, someone's coming one day. We don't have walls is the thing. Well, We don't even have that luxury. I, we don't I, have walls to sit behind. You have pods. I, 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 I don't believe that there is a, a, a practical solution and, and that, that is deeply worrisome. Because I don't think people truly- You, you really don't? Like we, it's past the point that we can control it. it we, may be, we may be past the event horizon, the point at which the pull towards AI is so great, there's no backing away from it. We're, I, we're being sucked in faster I, and faster. I think you can go into it with these neural nets. A human that understands the code can go into the system, be in the virtual realm, and reverse engineer the code. I, I, I you can see what's happening and how it's being written in real time and change it with no, their minds. It's I, true. I, I mean, maybe- I would just but, do it with a keyboard, but man. It, I'm not it, going into that But thing. listen, this is, this is Elon Musk's argument. We must integrate with the machine lest oh. we get a Terminator-like scenario. Absolutely. And that's worse. really think this is going to end well. I mean, honestly. No, no, I, no, no. But, but listen, I, like, no. this is the scary thing. No. This is what people yeah. need to understand about, about the singularity event. When AI, when it, when it actually turns on, when we reach artificial general intelligence. We might be there. It's an, and we might be there and just not yeah. know it. It's, an, it's a point at which the machine itself be, exponentially improves itself. So if the rate of growth for the, the computer systems that we're building is, say, Moore's Law, it doubles every two years. Once we reach the point of AI singularity, or I guess you could call it artificial general intelligence, it's just straight to the top, right up to the point of, of near infinity, where this machine is improving itself, learning faster and faster and calculating faster, and then it's beyond our, our comprehension, like nearly instantly. So the people who created that are evil, I mean, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so why, why are they rich and powerful? I, I, I would say it's, well, many, it, many of them, I, I would argue there's, uh, what I would refer to as the banality of evil, that it is a commonplace endeavor to get a job working for a company that's developing, developing this and having no idea that you are starting the fire, which could be the destruction of human well, I, individualism. I'm with Tucker, the indifference from people that could do something is unbelievable to me. I just, I'm, I don't, I'm not an expert on it at all. And I'm with Tucker, I, I don't understand except the possible threat. But why, why have we not had some form of a government-mandated pause on yeah. this thing? Because like, it's not going to stop China. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Okay, so what, what does that mean? That means that they're going to have their own supercomputer that can then kill their people? Well, but no, no, the Western the globalists too, are working what, in China. What, what I, Wait, hold on, how are they going to develop AI that they can control? They're also, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm just as frightened about all of it as you guys are, but there are also certain applications that are clearly far worse, that I don't think China's developing, that we are, that we need to stop. So for example, I saw somebody posting about an AI dating bot on the internet, where men who are too scared to talk to women start talking to this thing, and it's trained to tell them what they want to hear, oh, and that is, that is going to destroy so many lives, got, that should be immediately fake, stopped from happening. We, uh, well, if, online if, digital if civil authorities we, were interested in promoting the common good, that would be banned. You would we, not be able to sell that, you would not be able to make that. We actually have a, a, a big breaking story about this, and James O'Keefe, waiting on deck to come and talk to us about it, but I, I know that, Tucker, you want to hang out and keep talking about this. Of course, yeah. Then, uh, Ian, would you mind uh, sw swapping out with James? Yeah, but and I'm going to come out here and rub your shoulders at some point. All right. So, <laughs> Ian, uh, we love you. J but, but this is actually perfect timing. Uh, James O'Keefe has a big story on IBM. These are, com these are computer companies and their views 
on woke gender ideology. So he's waiting right now. If you want to run back and send him out, see you later. And then everybody. he can. James can probably provide some insights into us as round to what these companies are doing. Round of applause for Ian. Thank you, Ian. Zen? Good, good for you. So this actually is. Perfect timing in this conversation, as we know that James has been putting out these videos, un undercover videos, or I, I believe leaked videos, from IBM talking about their gender ideology commandments and mandates. And uh, let's, uh, hopefully he's out here. James O'Keefe? Are they gonna do something? He's gonna, there he is. James O'Keefe, everybody. It's a bulletproof vest. So, so James, you got a few enemies, James. You heard what we were talking about. Hello. Hi, Tim. Thanks Hi, for Tucker. coming. Hey, nice we, to see you. Tucker was asking about the, the the people and the companies behind the creation of these computer systems and AI, and I said, actually, James has some deep insights into what these companies do. Yeah, this this um, well, you said it today, Charlie, about the Ten Commandments within IBM. Yeah, I said IBM. it on, on PBD's show. I connected all the stories together because they're two seemingly unrelated stories. So IBM announces all this AI growth and their stock goes up, and then James O'Keefe reveals that they have the Ten Commandments that govern the values of IBM. And so basically, IBM is telling you that they're creating a woke super weapon. This is, is so demonic. No, no, that, that's basic. And exactly. The, and the Ten Commandments are not, you know, the ten that were revealed to Moses. I'm Sinai. They're, they're, they're literally like that white people can't be racist, that black people can be, do nothing wrong, that Ali should, it's literally- It a, says, a, quote, understand only white people are racist. Yeah. It, it, wow. it, it is the woke- Is that an exact quote? It, it That's is an the, exact quote. It is the, the woke anti-racist decalogue is what- And you said something pretty profound. You said that eventually AI will make this the actual Ten Commandments. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you think for a second, I mean, they're, they're, you, Yuval Harari has already said that artificial intelligence is going to rewrite its own religion for Bible stories that, quote, make more sense for people. Wow. Yeah, I mean, of course they need to go after the actual Ten Commandments. It's not going to be honor your mother and father. It's going to be honor your lesbian black master. Yeah, Yerwell Harari also said that the era of free will is over. Mm -hmm. um, that's the type of centralized thinking that these individuals well, are let's all give him more salivating power. for. Well, so. Tucker, <laughs> exactly. Tucker, you, yeah. you, you said that they were creating a god. They're creating a demon. They're creating a devil. Uh, a, well, it, a false it, god. It's, it's an idol. Baal. No, yeah, but, for sure. No, it's a, it's a demon. But they're, But what's so interesting is at least, you know, in the the whole management kerfuffle over there at AIHQ, um, the letter that got him bounced briefly from the helm said these people are are like you know dancing around the proverbial fire worshiping <laughs> this thing. And I'm like, of course they are. They have of the course there are rituals attached. Yeah, they have the golden calf in no, there. For yeah. real. This, but this is, just, just to go off, t but it's important, the, their stated goal, and he, Yuval Harari uses Bible stories all the time. That's what's so creepy. He talks about like, like the, the flood. He talks about the Tower of Babel. They, since Nimrod tried to create the city of Babel in Genesis 11, they've been trying to reconstitute a oneness of the government and a oneness of the world. They think artificial intelligence will allow it. It's a one-world government that they have always been after, but that's what Genesis, and they're going to do it through that, a that's why. God scattered the people. Ba Babel means God confuses. Babel, God confuses. Because God does not want a one world government. Yeah. And, he wants nations. He and wants now you people. add that to the fact that a lot of right. people think, especially politicians like Netanyahu, that believe that we're in the end of times. And when you see his conversations that he has with Elon Musk, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence, a lot of things start to come together when it comes to the time that we are in right now that is going to be absolutely decisive for humanity. We could either be totally free or totally enslaved. And I want that decision might not be ours.
numbers. I, I want to talk about one of the first iterations of artificial intelligence. A lot of people say this is not true AI. Fine, we don't got a nitpick on it. But uh, Seamus brought it up. These, these, these AI girlfriends that have been popping up, all these different apps, where they whisper sweet nothings into the ears of young men to confuse them, to pull them away from, from reality. The scary thing about it is, people, these young men, they're, they're on their phones and they think they're just having a chat on their phone. You're not. Behind this AI is a singular machine, a singular entity. Whether you want to believe it's, it's, it's some kind of conscious being, demon, whatever, it is a single entity. And each of its fake girlfriends that is talking to these young men is like a tentacle coming out of it. So these young men, they think they're, they're being wooed by a siren towards the great seas to die, and it is a gigantic demonic beast luring them to them. But I just, it's so lonely. I mean, I believe in smell very strongly. If, if I can't smell you, you are not real. And so I, I mean that. I'm, you know, and I don't understand how people could fall for that. Like, in the end, it's some computer-generated image. It's utterly fake. Like how, it's like well, sadder me, than a sex doll. Let me get needlessly uh, a, a scientific, for, just for Ian, because he's not on the stage anymore. There's this really cool thing called a laser-induced plasma channel. Mm. Now, the, one day this military guy's like, hey, I would really love to strike a guy with lightning with a gun. How do I do that? Well, the problem is lightning travels in the path of least resistance. So they got an idea. They use an infrared laser. I'm probably getting this way wrong, but follow, bear with me anyway. You, you use an infrared laser to charge the air in a straight, light, straight line, ionizing the particles, which creates an easier path for electricity. They could then point a cannon and fire a bolt of lightning, essentially. It's a waste of energy, so it didn't really work out. But the reason I bring this up is for fun, but mainly because young men are having a hard time meeting girls. I mean, especially with the Me Too stuff. and Not, all the not at America Fest, but yeah. Not at America Fest. America Fest is great. And that's why people should come to things like this to meet people. Yes. But imagine, I agree. you know, all of those challenges of teen angst, and it is not easy to, to live. I mean, this is just reality. You have, to, you have to strive, you have to struggle, you have to fail and pick yourself back up. But along comes the candy man who says, ignore all of that, and I can satisfy all your deepest emotions with this machine right here. And so, unfortunately, a lot of young men, they might think to themselves, you know, I will try and meet actual girls and get a real girlfriend, but, you know, I'll just use the app for now. Then eventually they develop antisocial behaviors. They never yep. meet people. They never develop those skills. By the, then they're 20 years old and they have no idea how to even talk to someone. But more importantly, the great opportunities to meet someone when you're young in your neighborhood used to be church. Where your families and communities would meet. Uh, public schools, I'm not a big fan of, but also a way that people would meet. And the workplace, now we're working from home. Now young people are, are using these apps and, and they're not even communicating anymore. If we get to the, I mean, we, when we're talking about these AI girlfriends as this just, I just view this as a tremendous evil, understand that dead internet theory, whether anyone wants to believe it's true or not, is coming true factually before our eyes. Because we're looking at AI bots communicating with us. Of course, eventually, now Twitter is integrating Grok. At, at what point does Grok start actually posting things and communicating with people? And at what point does someone create a bot using a paid script from GPT or something to make Twitter accounts or X accounts to communicate with people? And then you're there. You're, 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 you're in the fake world and we may already be there. Well, <laughs> does anyone still think it's important to go outside and be with animals? Yes. Yeah. This is why we moved to West Virginia. Yeah. Because now I have a family of deer that live on my lawn. It's so important. And turkeys. Yeah. You learn more from them than you will from Grok, trust me. Chickens. <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of chickens. And chickens are based AF, so we're, we're yeah, very happy. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> but so what, you uh, were uh, describing, Tim, what, what better way to depopulate a population than to do exactly that, what you're yeah. describing, and, uh, you know, uh, take Andrew Tate uh, out of his business.
Mm -hmm. So James, walk us through, because this is some of the greatest work, and I just have to say this. James O'Keefe and Tucker Carlson have both had challenging 2023s. <laughs> and I think I speak for all of us. We're so blessed and thankful that they're back and fighting stronger than ever. Right, Tim? It's amazing to have you guys on stage together. Now, if you think really about really it, appreciate it. If, if you think about it, the regime did whatever they did. I think uh, my, my, I've, I've strong thoughts on that but they're both stronger than ever because they're both threats. James, we love you and we support you. What, what, tell us about, this is one of the most important stories you have published in quite some time. Thank you, Charlie. Um, and thank you, Tim. And nice to see you again, Tucker. Great to see you, James. Um, I, I, I think that this story is remarkable because usually there's a couple people that maybe come to me. Now there's been 150 people within IBM that have come forward, 150. Wow. And uh, I'm gonna break something right on your show here. Well, I'll post it on X, so I guess I'll break it on X and also on your show. And this slide says, how does whiteness work? This is an IBM internal document. I, I talked to you a little about, about it, Tucker, but it's the Red Hat, which is the subsidiary of IBM, and it says, quote, whiteness constructs the game, hides the rules, then rigs the game over and over again. It's this, it's this slide that they give out inside IBM, and so there's really kind of an explosion of whistleblowers coming forward. It's very encouraging, and I think that uh, that could have a real effect in 2024. I think the whistleblower is going to be very important in 2024, people on the inside with access to what's happening. Yeah, so, I'm fairly optimistic. Right. i got to be honest. I mean, with what you're saying especially, but we just have to, we have, we have to be vigilant. Well, it's almost like the, the first person, you know, he has to take an extreme leap of faith, and then everyone else will follow. But this is the sort of whistleblowing in, in numbers, in, in big numbers. I've, I've never seen that before, and it's very encouraging to me. But someone has to come forward first, and that person is still within IBM. IBM Deep Throat is still there. So I'm very encouraged by that, Charlie, because usually it was a couple people, but it's hundreds. And I think that that's going to be a, a taste of what's to come. And the CEO has responded, right? Tim? CEO was on an all-staff all meeting. A foreigner who became an American, and, Arvnit Krishna. Because he said, if you, if you hire you know, white people or there's too many Asians, we'll dock your bonus and terminate you. So then he gets on an all-staff call last week. And he says, there's this video that came out, okay, of me, and I said these things, and he's talking to tens of thousands of people, and he says, don't give this any oxygen, don't give this any response. And that was recorded and leaked and published. <laughs> yeah. So the CEO is telling everyone inside the company, don't respond to this. So I don't know what they're, what they're gonna do now. This they is, can't yeah. fire 100 people. This is building culture, and the message, James, you've spread for a long time of be brave has reached a lot of people. And if everyone holds that within their hearts that they will always be brave and stand up for what they believe in, we need not worry about this in 10 years. But that, that's, that's hoping. In, in numbers. I think people need to do it in well, numbers. We, if anyone's watching, to connect all this together, we need more whistleblowers in these AI companies right now. We need whistleblowers yes. right now in these AI companies to come forward with what's really going on, how advanced is, te is this technology, that we don't know enough. We have like, we had one, didn't you, Tucker? Didn't you have a Google whistleblower that said it already reached singularity? Yeah. <laughs> and wow. um, yeah, it just, it's been happening like so many trends in our society in slow motion and you sort of see it and you register alarm and then like deep ominous dread and then you sort of move on to the next unfolding crisis. And it doesn't feel like anyone can pause long enough to address any of them and they're just sort of moving inexorably forward almost autonomously. And if you put it all together, you're like, what are we watching here? We're watching like an actual pivot point in history. And I don't think I'm being, alarm I'm not an alarmist by temperament. I'm, I have a sunny disposition, I think. And, um, but I don't have, I don't see you can reach any other conclusion.
from that. Well, it, it's really horrifying. There's this the line in there that you mentioned about what whiteness does. Not, no, no, they're not saying what white supremacy does or what white racism whiteness does. Whiteness constructs the game, hides the rules, then rigs the game over and over again. No, it's a racial Now, just think about this. It's a racial, it's a blatant racial attack. So they'll say things like this. They'll say whiteness is evil. They'll say we need to eliminate whiteness. And you have to pay attention to them when they accuse you of things. When our buddy Michael Knowles said we need to eliminate transgenderism, they said, oh, he's not attacking the idea of transgenderism. He's promoting genocide, which of course he was not. Okay, so if they think saying we need to eliminate transgenderism means you actually want genocide, what does it mean when they say they want to eliminate whiteness? Well, they've explicitly called for it. They've celebrated the fact, I mean, the President of the United States did that. I'm looking forward to the day when there are fewer whites when they're in the minority. It's well, sick. To, well, what is it's, that? Yeah. I mean, to, to call for any group to become a minority is such a, a sickening, unfathomable Well, especially thing to do. in a country where they told us for my entire lifetime that minorities are by definition mistreated and oppressed yep. in this country. So by their definitions, being a minority in America is a threat to your life, and they're celebrating a group becoming mm -hmm. a minority. It's like, what, what? We're all too embarrassed to say so, but that's <laughs> like genocidal language. Mm -hmm. They're not just calling I, for it, they're actually doing it, especially when you look at the, the, the numbers, when you look at the propaganda that's in every TV show, that's in every commercial, that's in every movie, you can't ignore it. It's either overt or subliminal. They've, they've forgone telling a good story. They don't do that anymore. It's all just pure, ugly, nasty, propaganda that is meant for you to be they're, hated on because of the way that you were born, which is crazy. Yeah, there are two, two, two big ways to reduce a population from a majority to a minority. It's contraception, abortion, I encourage people to, you know, find ways to, for them to not have children and also to bring in many, many other well, people from you, outside the You country. are in the state where the great replacement is happening every day. There's 15,000 people that they're bringing into Arizona to replace you. They want Arizona to be less white. Yep. And as it's less white, they get more power. Now, you here, know, here's the funny thing is Vivek Ramaswamy says this, and the media immediately comes out and says, oh, conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories. And then what happens? Anybody who's paying attention sees the video from Joe Biden saying, we want it to happen. There's a video, I believe it was from Van Jones, saying effectively what we are asking is for white people to well, accept becoming a minority. And the Castro brothers, which I think is the best example, they're on like Face the Nation in this long interview, and they're like, you will be calling the electoral votes for Texas because Texas is becoming more Hispanic. And the interviewer says, well, what, what do you mean? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously mass migration is a benefit to the Democrat Party. And Michael Anton had the most powerful piece where the way the Democrats respond to this is that it's not happening, and it's good that it is. The Parallax, uh, yeah, what is it right. called, the celebration parallax? Yeah, exactly. You're allowed to celebrate it, but you can't be well, critical but, but, of it. Yeah, exactly. You're, if you write an article, you can get published in Vox.com saying it's so good that whites are no longer the majority. It, but, but if you write the same article that says maybe it's not a great thing that whites are the majority, they call you a white supremacist. That they're no longer. No, no, not only that, they say it's not happening. Mm -hmm. They're saying right. it like, wait, wait, wait. So is it happening or is it not happening? But why, why are people putting up with it? I mean, one of the reasons well, this doesn't happen in any other group is people are like, no, you can't do well, that. You, you teach my kids that, that they're evil because they're skin color. I'm going to flip out in the print. I'm going to punch you out. Like, but you but mentioned, but I think but you mentioned. On real no other group would put up with that for yeah, one wait, wait. second. Tucker, you are correct. We had a father in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, which is only, it's literally about 30 seconds away from where we're currently at, who showed up to challenge the system and they, they, they arrested him. I, I don't think the question is why, uh, why are people putting up with it? It's right now, I think you'll find that this faction of people, whatever you want to call it, the right, I guess the media would refer to it as, are reasonable, calm, and trying to work within the mean, like their means well, to, I, to be, to do things procedurally and correctly. I also think a lot of people, yeah, especially white Christians, 
they're resisting identity politics. They don't want to go to that next step, but that's where it's heading. I mean, well, it, it's it, going there quickly. It, I mean, white identitarianism is going to happen, and they want it to happen. They're, well, they're creating it, and I, I speak for myself as someone who's 54 and grew up in a totally different country. I don't want to identify as white. I don't even like thinking about that stuff. I like thinking about how people really are. I don't like thinking of them as members of groups. Yep. And they're pushing it. They're like, everyone has an identity. Everyone's a member of an identity group except the majority who are despised and we're trying to make them into the minority, but you're not allowed to organize as a specific as your identity. And it's like, they're, they're not only encouraging it, they're guaranteeing its mm -hmm. emergence. And, fin no, I, and financing it in, in Ukraine with our tax dollars, oh, essentially giving it to a lot of right-wing organizations. But I want, I want to go to James here because these, these are big implications. We're, we're talking about a, a racist artificial intelligence that is going to have <laughs> godlike power, that's going to be woke, that's going to push their own views of equity. They could do that in so many different man, manipulative ways. What was some of the biggest things that you saw in this latest drop and what are the implications here? Well, I, I think this, this Ten Commandments, I think Charlie said it. Can you go over some of them? Yeah, I will. I'll pull them up right now. This is, this is something called Red Hat, which is a subsidiary. And, and by the way, just so we're clear, they call it the Ten Commandments. Yes. They're, they're directly trying to Mock appropriate God. the Decalogue, which is the basis of Western civilization. Ten Commandments. This is an IBM internal document leaked to, to uh, OMG from multiple sources after the first person came it's forward. amazing stuff, James. I'm going to read this. Amazing. Openly acknowledges privilege and systemic racism exists. Never question the reality of our black friends. Rejects the idea that race is political. Accepts that white people are responsible for dismantling racism. Understands only white people can be racist. Knows the black community owes us nothing. Requires acknowledgement repair of a number of mistakes. Is never rooted in white saviorism sees the black community as a group of individuals, does not seek recognition or praise for a job well Wait, done. Sees the, <laughs> sees the black community as a, a group of individuals? Well, isn't it, this it, the yes. first thing that stood out to me? <laughs> so for yeah. example, community, yeah, also like, don't so, be a white savior and we're saving yeah, from the Yeah, so you're not life. allowed to say that blacks are 13% of the population, yet they can No, but like the internal the logical incoherence that. of that is so insane. You're dealing with dumb people, that's one of the things we never say. That's like, true. Like whoever wrote that's like a moron. But, well, but and, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because this is, this is something I've been thinking about. There are really complex, difficult decisions that the wisest, most virtuous, most healthy, well-rounded person you've ever met in your entire life that anyone you know has ever met in their entire life would not be qualified to make, and they're being made by stupid people. I agree. They're being made by idiots. But they're I, well, I, they're, they're I, aggressive. And I would like to point though. this out. Um, there is only actually one person of color on the stage, and it is, in fact, Luke, Luke Rutkowski. Damn right. Now, you Represent. may be asking yourself, how is a blonde, white, blue-eyed dude a person of color? Well, according to the coalitions for communities of color, Slavic individuals, people from Poland, for instance, are people of color. So here is a guy. This makes no sense. I have a well, card. I use it all the time. What, <laughs> what really, this is what really doesn't make sense to me. I was talking earlier about how tyranny is fundamentally anti-intimacy, and you read something on that list which perfectly exemplifies that. We never question the lived realities of our black friends. If you never question someone's reality, they are not your friend. That's not what friendship means. Friendship means you keep each other in check. When somebody says something that you don't think is true and you genuinely care about them, you say, that actually doesn't map on to anything that I've seen in the you world. Know, Let's hash this out. Let's see what the truth is. Let's find it together because that's what friends do. Let, let, this is a really great point. Let me, let me ask you. If, uh, let's say uh, your buddy's driving a car and you're in the uh, passenger seat and they're about to drive off a cliff. If you decide to hop out of the car and say nothing because you don't want to question their realities, are you being a good friend? Or are you a good friend if you grab the wheel, slam the brakes, and say, dude, you almost drove off a cliff? Mm -hmm. Well, you, it's you, infantilizing for sure, but it, you're treating them like children. But you're also, anyone you don't question is by definition like the godhead. Yep. <laughs> because like, what, you know, there's only one entity that, who's beyond question, that's God himself. 
So there is this religious quality to it, washing the feet, worshiping. And whenever you do that to other people, they should be very nervous. And I, I have at least one black friend who was like the BLM stuff in the aftermath, all these Christian churches worshiping black people. He's like, I don't like that at all. That freaks me right out. This was a, it was a, it was a wild experience for me when I first went to Occupy Wall Street. So this is, we're talking 12 years ago now. And, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago. Everybody knows it's an urban liberal story and all that stuff. And we, we hated this idea of judging someone based on the color of their skin instead of the content of their character. Amen. I go to New York City at the start of Occupy Wall Street. They started, Luke was there too, so Luke def definitely knows this. They started off with something they called the General Assembly, where everybody would sit down and they would all, you know, raise their hands to speak, and then they would do twinkle fingers, they called it, if you, if you liked, because clapping was offensive to people who couldn't hear or whatever. They had something called progressive stack. That meant if you raised your hand to speak, but you're a white man, mm -hmm. bottom of the list, because white men are privileged. So they would actually look at people and say, can I get anybody who's not a white man? You can't speak. And if you look like one, you have to shout out something about why you were actually a minority. I knew there was one instance where a guy raised his hand and they go, anybody who's not a white man? And he goes, I'm gay. And they go, okay, you can talk now. That, that qualifies. Mm -hmm. One of the most shocking things I ended up seeing, which was a real wake up call for me, was when they created something called the Spokes Council. This is where they decided the General Assembly is inefficient. Let's have a better, more efficient model of decision-making by breaking everyone up into different groups based on the job you do. If you work on the website, you're part of a website group. If you work on cleaning, sanitation, you're sanitation group. And of course, let's have a group for only black people, a group for only Asian people, a group for only Mexican people, a group for only women. And they actually decided to have political voting power on resources based on your race or sex. And then there was a moment, one day I'm walking on the side of Zuccotti Park and there was a black man sitting up on this planner and he said, these people are nuts. What do you think the press is going to say when they find out they're segregating everybody based on race to make their decisions? But they just destroyed their own movement. I mean, Absolutely. I was, I'll be honest, I was, I was annoyed by Occupy Wall Street, but I was kind of sympathetic to the core idea that you have this massive series of financial crimes in 08 and not one person is punished. And that actually the real scam is economic. They're, they're yep. looting the country. And someone needs to call out the banks on this and finance world in general. Occupy Wall Street was totally eclipsed by identity politics, which I believe was, you know, the antidote. Like, the banks got together and the people who benefit from yes. the banks are like, oh, let's just pit them together based on race. Like, this is a widely held theory. But for the occupied Wall Street people themselves to be embracing identity politics undercuts their whole argument. It was subversion. It was no, subversion. I, I, I met Luke there and... You ask yourself, everybody, everybody here knows Luke. How, how does someone like Luke, Luke and I come together? And it's because originally it was exactly as you described. Yeah, it was people from the left. It was people from the right. There was daily marches against the U.S. Federal Reserve. There was a lot of libertarians. There's a lot of people who were representing the larger ideas of the Tea Party, a lot of Ron Paul. Yes. And then, and then this coalition of individuals from the left and right scared the crap out of the Yes, people. exactly. But then they sent in crazy people. That's how I got to know Tim, because me and Tim were at these Because he was a crazy council. person? No, we were at these spokes council meetings and we were like, these people have lost their freaking minds. They're well, freaking insane. They weren't here on day one. They came in here and they're literally saying, black people got to stay here. White people have to stay here. We're like, this is, this is retarded. This is stupid. This makes no sense at all unless you're trying to subvert and destroy it from well, the inside. And, it, and, it, and it, I think that's exactly what happened. And then the corporate media said, we got to obsess about race because this is how you destroy populist movements. And this is why we keep talking about race over and over I, again. When it's the simplest, stupidest thing that should have, of course, not be a major issue, we should be talking about the larger, better things, the more, the more amazing things in life, not just the superficial bullshit. That doesn't I, matter. I told Steve Bannon I wish he came to Occupy Wall Street and, and, and helped because 
that first week was so different from what it turned into. There were, I, I remember meeting a, you know, a couple and they were, they were in their 60s with an American flag and they were upset about the bank balance and, this, and subversion. And I think what happens is it's very easy for liberals to infiltrate in a city like New York and it's very difficult for conservatives to, to stand their ground in such a place. Mm -hmm. And it's not a theory, Tucker. I mean, you could see that the people that run Wall Street, they love the woke stuff like Larry Fink because then we never talk about income inequality exactly. mm -hmm. or wealth inequality. The woke smokescreen is is a protection racket for them and they're paying half the taxes yes i mean like why does no why did no one i mean why is it twice as virtuous to invest as it is to go to work every day we tax the things we want to discourage and we don't tax the things we want to encourage that's why cigarettes are so expensive so if you're taxing investing at half the rate as you are working what you're telling me is it's twice as virtuous well, to invest but is it i don't know that it is i kind of admire people who go to work every day like what what is this and it's not even typical investing right let's be honest this is this is mass this is using other people's money opm like hard by the way they're using labor's money tucker as you know they're using teacher and firefighter and police officer money and getting 3% management fees and 30% of the upside. By the way, they don't pay any tax on any of the earnings. They just say, oh, you know, we can't get rid of the carried interest loophole. And they have this whole insane tax scheme designed. And I just, I wonder what wealth are they actually creating? Or are they just moving trillions of dollars of money through a cheap, kind of a cheap instruments and taking taking 3%, 4% off the top, but the woke, this is what's important, we have to realize it. Occupy Wall Street was so scary to them mm -hmm. because it was diverse, because it was bipartisan, is that they had, you know, Tim, do you actually think that Goldman Sachs said, go send in the identity politics people? I'd believe it. Like, do you think that there was a meeting at Goldman Sachs where they said, go bring in the NYU trans, like race people to go distract them from talking about bank bailouts? Not Goldman Sachs, but uh, whatever. But but uh, powerful political interests, this is a fact. There were people who were on salary at large progressive nonprofits who were at Occupy Wall Street on paper getting money from a nonprofit and paychecks. And the funny thing is when this was accurately reported and sometimes inaccurately reported, they'd say the people down there are getting paid by insert nonprofit who receives money from say George Soros. All the activists would go, I didn't get my Soros check. And I'm like, dude, John over there works for this nonprofit that is literally a progressive voter registration nonprofit, and he's organizing the assemblies right now. Hmm. Yes, that is literally happening. And so perhaps it was as simple as, hey guys, here's an opportunity, we better harness it. And it, and it, and it bums me out to think the reality of Occupy Wall Street was progressives being smarter and faster than the populist right. And you, you look at the stated positions of like the Open Society Foundation and George Soros, it conveniently ignores wealth inequality, income inequality, home ownership. It's like <laughs> open borders and racial transformation and trans stuff. It's like, wait, hold on a second, George Soros. Are you afraid that there might be a real movement to go take and tax your $20 billion foundation that doesn't pay any taxes and is being used to you know, subvert and infiltrate the country. But I think what has happened is, especially post-Floyd, is that every major company is fine doing a $50 million check to some CRT, DEI company, as long as we don't talk about the fact that young people can't buy homes. Larry Fink is terrified that this audience, or just Republicans, Democrats, young people, all across the country will unite and lock arms right. and say, why is it that we can't buy homes and we're talking about you know, it's people's pronouns. Yeah, that's right. It, 
can I, uh, sure, I, I just want to say this before you jump in. Uh, I firmly believe, and you know, I've changed my positions, uh, obviously, since I first started with political commentary like 10 years ago. I used to be just a very like die-hard, uh, total free market guy. And I've moved on that. I believe property rights are extremely important, but part of the reason that I believe that that's true is because people who own property are a lot more difficult to control and push around. And the issue with communism and the issue with hypercapitalism, even though they express themselves very differently, and even though under communism you have many horrific instances of people being slaughtered, uh, I don't mean to downplay any of that, but one of the, the same economic issues you see with both of those is that all of the property ends up centralized in the hands of a small group of people who have control over it. So of course, uh, in a communist country, that's the party members, and in a capitalist country that doesn't have the proper regulations in place, that's the capitalist class, and your average person ends up without property. So what we need to do is structure our regulations so that the largest number of people possible can own property. I think that's the way that you have a flourishing system. I'm hopeful. If you uh, own nothing, you're not going to be happy. No, right. It's the opposite of what well, the World Economic Forum says. What the World Economic Forum, uh, the principle they're operating under is actually derived from a quote from Harriet Tubman. I freed many slaves. I would have freed many more if only they knew they were slaves. The inverse is what the World Economic Forum wants to introduce. Take from them the knowledge of their freedom and they won't miss it. Mm. Are people so pissed off? Is the pendulum now swinging in the other direction? Yes. Because that's well, what I'm seeing. There, there's, yeah, that's why they have to indict Trump, right? Because for years the media could just say this person's racist, this person's sexist, this that's person's homophobic, and that was enough to destroy the, that person's the, career. But it didn't destroy Trump, and so because the media no, how, no longer has the ability to shut people up, the state actually has to come in and shut people up. And you're right, it's making people angrier. This DEI stuff is not just in um, IBM, it's in everywhere. Yeah. I'm getting the messages from all the people inside all the companies. So it feels like whatever pressure it was to adopt the DEI, now it's just the pendulum swung. Is that happening? It's the bravery. I mean, how about we just talk about the hard numbers of these Disney movies and what did they lose, a billion dollars in their last releases? The nice. latest Marvel movie was the lowest grossing out of anything that they've done so far. Yeah, get one, go get, broke. Can we get a round of applause for that? <laughs> Disney and lost a billion dollars on its uh, films? On, on, I think, what is it, the, the last 10 films lost a collective billion? The, the latest MCU movie, was, which was the Marvels, was, a, was lower grossing than The Incredible Hulk in 2008, which is considered to be their worst. I think people are just saying, we'll find something else, we're done with it. It's kind of remarkable that some of the greatest victories come from people just being like, I'm leaving. It's just that simple. Yeah. They just say, I'm, I'm not going to, look, you know what I always used to say whenever they would make these video games that were all woke or whatever, I'd say, hey, that's great. I'm really happy for you that you got your video with the, your video game with the pink haired woman. I'm not going to buy it, you know, but you do your thing. And then it turns out nobody else wanted to buy it either. But, so James, you have other companies reaching out to you? Yes, constantly. Usually on Signal or on our website, just nonstop banks, institutions. I mean, I prefer video because I think documents are not as powerful, but it's nonstop. It just seems like it takes one and well, then a crescendo. You, and you know this, just give them a camera and have them ask the HR person about the document, they right? And that. then you get a video. I mean, there's a lot of this, right? like, I have a mortgage, I have a wife, I have a kid. It's, it's, it's always these conversations. How do you respond to that? It's tough. I mean, I, I, it's, I don't have a mortgage and kids, not yet. But it's tough to empathize. Um, the, the one individual was very uh, inspired by that one clip that you That's and I are right. talking it's about. A, the, it's the, very powerful. The pastor was, was like a minister. It was a minister talking to me about how afraid he was. He should I'm, resign from the ministry. I'm not a afraid, minister. Honestly, I don't, I'm not all. qualified to, <laughs> to advise the minister. And I said to the person, what I say is, what's the worst thing that can happen to you if you tell the truth? And he goes, oh, gee, I never, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> and this individual with an IBM had seen that clip and also saw the Elon Musk, you know, F you Bob speech. 
and Elon Musk, you know, IBM and Disney canceled advertising and, and the individual, let's call them IBM Deep Throat, said, what's the worst thing that happened to me? Because it kind of eats at you if you're seeing something horrible and you're, go, and you're just doing the job for the paycheck and the pension. You know, the that, worst that thing is? That just tears at your soul. The, so you're, you're confronted with this horrible decision, I either do this job and I can't live with myself or I tell the truth and I lose my job. And what I'm seeing is the trajectory of people, you know what, I'm gonna tell the truth and lose my job. The worst thing that could happen to you if you tell the truth, you'll be set free. And, and I feel like, I agree with I feel like Tucker truth, and I That's, that's Christianity. Did Absolutely. That. The truth will set you free. That's right. The truth shall set you free. And the, sometimes the worst thing, being free, is actually the best thing. But they don't see it that way because they got the mortgage and the job and the roof and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They have to have food, shelter, you know, et cetera. And it is, and it is hard. It is scary. I can respect that. Well, it's Dos very difficult. Doskevsky said, uh, your worst sin is that you have destroyed and betrayed yourself for nothing. And when you, when you think about that quote, when you look at the situation that a lot of people are in, they think they're making the right decision for themselves and their mortgages and their families right now, but, but in reality, they're making the worst decision for their future, for their children, for this country, as of course, all these little decisions, everyone's saying, I'm just doing my job, that keeps adding to the initial destruction as this country is being sabotaged from within. And it's only being sabotaged with our acquiescence, with our participation in it, with us voting for it, with us clicking and liking and giving our money to these creatures that serve essentially Satan. They, these people don't serve you, don't care about you. You, you need to make sure every dollar you spend goes towards a good cause. You need to download Public Square and shop at businesses that support your values, our values, and we'll, that's one simple, simple way, because maybe all you're gonna do is buy a, you know, I don't know, barbecue pulled pork, but you're supporting a company that believes in this country. And I, I wanna plug something else, something I just became a member of, and you guys should too, and Tucker, you've had a crazy year, Tucker Carlson Network, people can become members too, and get access to well, your thank content. You. Thank you, yeah, I, I wanna build something that can't be canceled. But may I say something about standing up and you know, taking the abuse for doing that? Um, I, I do think it's high stakes for a lot of people and all my kids are grown and I've already been through the cycle of, you know, being poor, rich, poor, you know, rich again. Um, and so I don't find that as scary, but I do think if you've got kids in the home, it's, it's scary. I mean, it is it's not a small decision to make. But I also think here's one potential upside. If you tell the truth and stand on principle and, you know, act in a dignified way as a man, the people around you want that. Women want that. They don't want to be married to a wuss. And I, I do think, you know, in the dynamic in marriage, especially with small children in the home, is, you know, don't screw it up. We've got, you know, a lot at stake. We, you know, we need the money and all that. But I think if you say calmly, like, you know, I, my dignity requires me to tell the truth, you will get a lot of understanding. And I think long term, your wife will respect you more. They want a little fire in a man. And your children will respect you more. And that is, man, that is worth a lot, I think. Absolutely. That's a very good point. And also the example that you're setting for your children, right? Because they're going to grow up and they're going to be faced with similar dilemmas. Yeah, no one remembers the names of the people who killed Joan of Arc, honestly, <laughs> to, to pander to your Catholic sensibility. <laughs> but no, for I real, love it. No, no, I mean, you know, she kind of, I, you wouldn't want to be burned to death. That's the kind of last thing you'd want. No. On the other hand, how'd you like to be, you know, immortal for your bravery? Mm -hmm. I don't know. They're, they're, they're actually much worse things than that. And, and living like a slave is one of them. A lot, of, a lot of us here faced a lot of uh, adversity, some more than others. Uh, maybe it would be important to say, what made you guys just say, 
fuck you. I'm not going along <laughs> with this bullshit. I'm not acquiescing. I'm not complying. I'm not going to do what I'm told. I'm going to be a free human being that speaks truth to power. What made you? What was that decision in you? What was that spark in you guys? James, I think you have a lot of these instances yourself. What was it? The spark that gets you to start or that keeps you going or, or what? Start. I was in college and my professors were telling me how great communism was. <laughs> and and I, I went to Rutgers and there was a statue of Paul Robeson who was a Stalinist. He won the Stalin Peace Prize. And Milton Friedman graduated from my college and there was no statue of him. And I just said, that doesn't make any sense. I wasn't even very political. I just thought that's, I wasn't even, I mean, you don't have to be a student of history to, you know, but it's, but it's difficult. And, and uh, I think that there's been some trying moments in the, in the FBI, uh, you know, you know, I've talked about that FBI raid. That was, that was terrifying. And I consider myself a, a, a relatively fearless person. I'm, I'm afraid, but not to the extent most people are. And, and, uh, and, it, and it really made me question the principles of the, you know, it made me question everything I believed in. And, and sometimes it's discouraging, but you got to grind it out. You got to keep, keep fighting, you got to keep exposing. And I'm very encouraged right now by this, by this, uh, these whistleblowers coming forward. I'm very, I'm very encouraged right now, very heartened. Charlie? Uh, my faith. Yeah. If, if, you, uh, if you love God and you believe that he's sovereign, a lot of this stuff doesn't matter, especially if Media Matters writes a nasty article about you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. None of the, no one cares. There's an eternal game at play here. And honestly, I hate lying and I hate bullies even more. I, I can't stand when people use their power to go after people that can't defend themselves. That sets me off. And we're, we're supposed to tolerate those bullies and say that, they're, they're good people. No, they're, they're evil. And in fact, if you love God, you must hate evil. It's my mission statement verse, Psalm 9710. Those of you who love God must hate evil. Mm. How would you describe the spark, Tucker? Um, well, I agree with Charlie that if, you know, if you don't view death as the worst thing, and I don't, by the way, it's inevitable anyway, but I don't, I don't view it as the end and I don't view it as the worst thing that could happen to a person, that resets your framework for sure. But in my, my case, if I'm being honest, it's really the family that I grew up in. I grew up in a you know, non-traditional, very unusual family, um, but a totally iconoclastic family, completely. It was like not even a question. Are we going along with everyone else? What? No. And, and an extremely close family, very, very close family. It was only three of us, but very close. And, um, and then I grew to have, at a very young, I got married at 22, and I had my own family like that. And I've had the same friends for 40 years, almost all of them. And so the world that I actually occupy is a world that rewards those things. And I felt so supported by it, and I always have my whole life. I've never been alone. I've lived, I went to boarding school at 14. I've lived alone for one year of my life. And I've, you know, always kind of shared a bathroom with somebody. And, uh, and so I just have a lot of really close relationships and supportive relationships. And so, like, if they hate me at some, I've been fired a number of times, and obviously half the world hates me, I mean, it kind of doesn't matter when I go home because the people in my world are honest and kind and supportive. And, like, I, f I really feel for people who live by themselves and who don't have that because how could you be brave under those circumstances? You just, I, I couldn't, I'm not man enough to be brave and go home to an empty apartment. I can't even imagine that. And I, and I really disapprove of a society that creates that life for people, particularly young people. You've got no backup at all. So I feel for people a lot. I'm lucky. You know, I don't, I don't know if there was a grand formative little, little moments throughout my life that made me question reality and things like that, but I'm lucky that I had a good mom and a good dad. 
And uh, dad was a little more conservative, mom was a little more, a little more liberal, so I got you know, I'm in, in between view on a lot of things and logic behind it. But more importantly, I was, I was always taught that uh, uh, to challenge, to question, that not everybody is always right. I wonder, I think a lot of it may come from the fact that my dad is a firefighter. And one of the, one of the most important things you learn is when you enter a building, where are your exits? And you have to understand that sometimes when there's an emergency, everyone will run in the wrong direction. Are you stopping to think about <laughs> which door you're going through? You know, I remember seeing this video of a, a music venue, a fire starts, everybody immediately runs through the front door and they get stuck. And a guy calmly walks out the side door with no resistance, films the whole thing. That's how I grew up. I, I grew up with parents telling me to be careful, to watch my step and to think ahead. I just, I, I suppose I have a, a good family. Seamus? Um, I was also blessed with an incredible family, and my parents were very uh, active, pro-life activists through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and 2000s, and when I was a kid, they would bring us to pro-life events, and that was actually my gateway to getting involved in politics. I just thought, this is the single most important possible issue. People are, they're, they're murdering unborn babies. And I remember the way the pro-life cause was always sneered at by teachers in school or messaging that I saw in the mainstream media or people I knew who were on the political left. But I knew so many people whose lives my parents had literally saved because in spite of what the left will tell you, pro-life activists, many of them do care. And when they persuade a woman to choose life, they will stay in her life. And there were people like that in my life growing up. And I got to a certain age and I realized like, this friend of mine or this person I love is here. They are alive because my parents were brave enough to say, we love you, don't do this. That's a person. We don't want this life for you and we care about your child. And no matter how annoying or curmudgeon-y or out of place, I was told it was to say, don't kill an unborn child. I thought, I would rather be the annoying, out of place person who saves lives than the person who never commits a social faux pas and allows unborn children to die. No. And I don't mean to compare myself to my parents. I have not done nearly any, anything close to the good work that they've done interacting with the real people in the real world and in, in the, the, the children they've saved and the responsibility they've taken for children uh, who weren't theirs to help them. And so for me, it was just a recognition that the people who are telling you not to speak up when you have to are the people who are on the side of death. I'll try to keep my answer as short as possible, but uh, I grew up in New York City on 9-11, and there was a lot of death, a lot of people who lost loved ones, a lot of people who were losing their lives because the government told them that the air was safe to breathe. I was around a lot of that death. I saw a lot of the people that I loved, that I cared for, die uh, in front of me, and a, a lot of them when they were dying, always had this message that they, they wished that they lived their life to the fullest. A lot of them had regret that their life was cut early, that their loved one's life was cut early. And ever since then, that has reinvigorated a fire in me personally, that every time I confronted a, a politician, whether it was Bignyev Brzezinski that helped finance the Mujahideen and the Al-Qaeda that essentially uh, became them, when I confronted you know, David Rockefeller and, and, and Lord Jacob Rothschild, when I was looking in their eyes, I was looking at them knowing that these people are capable of the ultimate evil. They're capable of pulling something off like 9-11. So I had conviction knowing that these people were the absolute deepest, darkest, sinister evil that you could ever imagine. Looking them in the eyes, telling them off, videotaping it, mm. 
made the biggest difference, inspired a lot of individuals, and showed everyone that we had the power to address these issues, to speak truth, expose these larger lies in our society, and live a life that is worth living fighting these evil scumbags. We've got uh, only a few minutes left, so I want to do some go around for final thoughts and uh, shout-outs if there's anything you want to shout-out. But, uh, Luke, just we'll start with you. And then, of course, we'll, we, we need to get Ian back out here in a moment so he can also join us. Yeah, uh, if you want to support me, go to thebestpoliticalshow.com. Um, I'm doing my own show, and I have a lot of fun. We shoot in Miami. Uh, if you want to get the shirt, you get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. Uh, I appreciate all the support. I appreciate the opportunities. It really means a lot just to be able to share with you guys and, and be able to, to share the stage and, and have these conversations, which I think are really important. So thank you, Charlie, uh, th and thank you, everyone. Final, for, final for, thought real quick on the state of affairs and where we're going? We're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Only <laughs> if we believe it. Right? Right on. Oh. James, wow. final thoughts and anything to shout out? Um, well, first of all, thank you, Charlie, for, for having my back. He's I, a good man. And as I was going through this crazy, crazy thing, fired from the company I founded, which is un an unthinkable, unimaginable occurrence. Charlie was there for me every day. So I just want to say, Still am, James. you're my brother, and I appreciate the morning prayers. Thank you. Um, as far as shout outs, I'm speaking on stage tomorrow at 10 AM. I've got some new whistleblowers coming on stage, some very brave people. And then at 2 PM tomorrow, we're doing an investigative journalism workshop. Undercover work is not for everyone. But if you're interested, tomorrow at 2 PM, Final thoughts, I'm an optimist. I, I, I have to be, I, I, I have to have faith, although there are moments when I, I, I agree with you, but I, I wake up the next day and I think this is what a time to be alive. I mean, there's no other place in history I'd rather be than right here, right now, because we can make a difference. And I'm excited to make a difference and we will make a difference next year. So that's my final thought. Well, first I'm just, what a great America Fest, right everybody? This has just been amazing, it's just been awesome. So. And I want to I want to give a couple shout outs uh, to our tech team that got this together in 15 yeah. minutes. Oh, wow. Is that not amazing? They amazing. put this and assembled it. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, the staff has been has been great. Um, and if anyone wants to join Turning Point USA, we'd love to have you be part of our movement. Uh, it's growing like crazy. Uh, YouTube is playing games with the Charlie Kirk channel right now. We received a strike for something we shouldn't have. Um, so if you guys are watching on YouTube, if you can go subscribe to our YouTube channel, it helps a lot. You know what it's like to get a strike. It suppresses your reach by 90% for 90 days. The way to break out of that is if a bunch of people go subscribe and like videos. So if anyone's watching online and wants to help us out, um, I think it's at Real Charlie Kirk. You guys could help us there um, and really help us get out of this ridiculous strike where I said something that I won't say now because I don't want you to get a strike. <laughs> um, and you also could take out your phone and subscribe to the Charlie Kirk Show podcast. We would deeply appreciate it. We need you on Rumble. We, we are on Rumble, um, but I'm with Tim on this. If you want to reach the middle, you have to go on YouTube, right? We're, we're on Rumble too, but yeah. we just have the I mean, we, we, we were averaging 8 million uh, YouTube shorts uh, views a day, and then obviously wow. you know what happens. Um, huge. huge. And then uh, all media matters, everyone tried to take us out, so we got a strike. And so the way we get around that is if uh, a bunch of people go to the channel, subscribe, and like some videos, it could spike our stuff up um, right and uh, once we get over the strike. God, it's also North Korean. It's just absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, first, let me just say I'm, I'm really psyched to meet you. I've wanted to. Well, so, me too. Uh, thanks. Th th oh, thank you. Um, and thank you for having me. This has been wild. And you're kind of bringing me a little bit closer. <laughs> I just, I love God that. God bless you. you know, anybody, it's the Holy Spirit, not me. I'm, no, it's just that anybody who devotes his or her life to helping other people in the most unfashionable possible way, bringing onto themselves responsibilities they don't need, like that's the highest form of sincerity. So that's really, that's a very winning, that's winning to me. Like I, I love that. Um, we just started this new network. It's at TuckerCarlson.com. 
We think it's going to make a difference. And uh, we, th we also think it's uncancelable <laughs> since it's a subscription model. So anyway, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I really do appreciate it. Of course, you can uh, follow me at TimCast. You can follow the show at TimCastIRL. Just wanted to say, uh, Tucker, when you were still on Fox, every day after the show, Luke would run downstairs because he TiVoed your show. Why you got to do this to me, man? <laughs> because it's respect. It's respect. Always would make sure to watch. So I really well, do appreciate you. you being here. It's an honor and a privilege. And uh, when I shout out Seamus, but we'd also make sure we get Ian back on for the mm -hmm. for closing statements as well. Yeah, well, for, God bless you and thank you for, for those kind words sincerely. Oh, I mean it. Uh, thank you. Um, one thing I'll say is to first to promote my stuff and then give my feelings on the current state of affairs. Uh, I'm a cartoonist. I have a YouTube channel called Freedom Tunes. We make animated comedy and satire. Uh, thank you, thank you. And this Thursday, we're releasing a Christmas special. Okay, it's the most ambitious video we've ever made. It's eight minutes of full animation, and it's like the most insane and hilarious thing that we've ever written and come up with. So please go to Freedom Tunes and subscribe. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um, and what I want my closing statement to be, up, oh, hey baby. <laughs> So, what I want my closing statement to be is this. Um, <laughs> we'll give it a second. It's making it hard for Seamus. Don't hit a camera. That's, my, a camera. that's my closing statement. No. Um, don't fall off the stage, so, please, like you did last time. <laughs> so, what I want to say is that um, when you tell a lie, <laughs> when you tell a lie, when you say something that isn't true, you don't feel like you've gotten a fact wrong. You feel like you've betrayed somebody. And the reason for that is because the truth is not an abstraction. The truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, and he loves you. He loves you, and he died for you, and he wants you in his church. So God bless all of you, I love you, and I am praying for every single one of you. Special thanks. Special thanks to all these guys up on stage. You guys are incredible. Charlie, thank you so much for putting this on, man. Every year it gets better and better, dude. I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. You're the man. Everyone else, remember, Jesus was a Jew. This conversation is not ending tonight. Let's make magic, all of us together. I'll see you later. <laughs> Everybody, thank you all so much. Subscribe, like, share. You can uh, check out our new song at thebestsongever.com, and we will see you all tomorrow.